Welcome to the best radio you have ever seen. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. And Jesus Christ, he's not going to be long anyway. The water, the water sealed it. And the food, the food feeds it. This is Christianity. And you have found the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Stick around. What is up, everybody? And it is incredible after all that work I did in the in-between. It still came in with that camera first. Hello. What a day. Someone mentioned the wood behind me. I feel like I should probably just address that right away. So in the last year, while I have been crystallizing my own spirit, intellect, body, I mean, everything, I'm just trying to reboot. I mean, 2020, why not, right? And so, like, um, what I've found is that nature or things that are real are, like, way more fulfilling than things that you might call digital or I tend to think of now as fake, right? Fake. So like Minecraft, Minecraft, you knock down a tree, you build a desk and then you build stuff on the desk and you have a tower and stuff. It's cool. So like, like, okay, but like, that's what this is. And it, I, there's, there's like a, I mean, like, I'm going to post now. So like, like, oh, here, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we look over here? Look at that. What is that? That's a duck house. Do you see the door? There's an automatic door over there. You see that? It's pretty spiffy stuff. Like, like that is significant, and I, I bang my thumb, I hurt my hand, I, I, my squatting, I hurt so much, ah, what the work, the sweat, the hot, and you're done, and you're not tired the same, the same way. Yeah, so, so the wood is just my own, like, I decided to get my hands into that. I mean, you can get into metal, I got a little leather thing going on, but it just, it takes more effort, I can see the long-term value, but wood is just, is just it's, it's a good learning curve. You can make a lot of mistakes. It's a little pricey right now, which is why, so like to my to my right, you see the former bunk bed that no longer is a bunk bed that we have inherited that is now wood, right? To my left, you see the pallet we picked up at the meat market that was left outside the back that is now wood because if you're trying to buy wood right now, I mean, I've got like five pieces right over there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is. It's a little rough because what? What's going on right now? I was post-2020 crystallizing the world. Oh, wait a minute. Everything's falling apart except it is not. It's more of a slow rot, right? And that's what happens in a looted country. You can check out our podcast, The Brief History of Power, with Dr. Kuntz and myself, two white guys. Uh, You can find that anywhere podcasts are to understand your context and the present zeitgeist and how we're in a formerly first world country, looted state, becoming third world country through a regime that has garnered power to itself and ignores the people base. It's pretty straight up stuff. I don't think it's like, like, that's not rocket science at the end of the day. But what that means is, right now, prices are going to inflate gradually, gradually, uh, especially in commodities, Right. So like it's not it's going to get easier to have a subscription to some app you don't need. That'll be cheap. Wood? Not so much. Right. Not so much. And so that's that's the trajectory the planet is kind of going on because America still third world country as she is runs the planet unless my little theory about the queen is right. Let's just leave that aside for the moment because that's just nonsense. I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, um, A, I guess I should say on that one. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Eh? The commodities issue is a real issue. And so the question of what's going on in the world is, is a real question. Okay, so so here we go. Let's, let's have some fun this morning. Let's see if this works out. I'm going to add a camera. Oh, look at this. This is what you have done by supporting me and letting me be patiently working on things for a long time until I finally figured out how to make the camera work. So here we got a way to look at something. Oh, here we go. So I got in the mail today uh, this little bit by – not today, this week – a little bit by a guy named James Altucher. 
I've wrecked Altucher's stuff before. He's a fascinating dude. I mean, really, if you want to find someone who, like, isn't following the zeitgeist directly, or is at least forerunning it, um, this guy's the way to be. I mean, he's kind of an atheistic New York Jew. Made his money on Wall Street, lost it, made his money on Bitcoin, has paneled it into talk show and comedy. Like, really, stand-up comedy. He's a fascinating guy. And he actually crashed his comedy club by complaining about the policies during the 2020 lockdown and how New York was dying because of it. And he had people, like, tarnish his club. He's a fascinating figure to follow. I do not recommend him with everything I I have. I mean, he he clearly has some really off-the-wall ideas. But this little bit between the between the red here, I think, is, is worth our time. It says He says this this week, and this is in a section about don't worry about inflation, by the way. The whole article is don't worry about inflation, which he talks about deflation and how if you look at real pricing and something over time, and we're really not that bad, and it's, it's just all, I don't know, maybe he's a modern monetary theorist. It didn't make sense to me. I was like, okay, that sounded fast and tricky, but like it was three sentences, and the wood had cost him more. <laughs> So, you know, talk to me about what's here, not what you think. But anyway, James tends to be pretty foresightful, though. And, and I've, I've relied on his Bitcoin understanding quite a bit. And it's, I mean, it's the, the dip just ended. So if you didn't buy during the dip, I mean, that's on you, right? So anyway, uh, there's no point in arguing with people, he says. Listen to this. This is wisdom. There is no point in arguing with people. Just let that stand as like a, a, like a long-term truth for you. When you realize you're arguing, you're completely wasting your time. Like, as soon as you know it, you're done. Like, time is wasted. I'm, why? They are not going to say, you know, you're actually right, I'm wrong. Like, that's generally not what happens unless you badger them and then they don't believe it, right? So so you can can win an argument, but then you didn't win. And if the person follows you after that, it just means they're weak. So, so like, and you've weakened them. You've torn their spirit and made them submit to you just because you want, rather than, again, knowing that truth is its own truth. You don't have to convince anybody of truth. You don't have to make truth work. Truth is. And any attempt to not be in the truth, that's just to not be. Tear yourself down, you know. Oh, I got a thumbs down. Thank you. Um, so nobody says that. So you're, you're in an argument with me. How often have you been like in a place where you're like, oh, I'm trying to convince this person on Facebook. Oh, oh they're going to learn. They're, I disagree. And they're like, oh, you're totally right. You, know, you typed in all caps. I'm like, thank you for typing in all caps. That made me really understand I hadn't thought it through. And now that your illumination is just, like that doesn't happen. And so here's the key that comes out of this is really interesting, okay? So it's not that you have to, it, it's valuable to not argue with people. And then secondarily, when you're arguing with people who aren't there, let me suggest to you that a majority of arguments you have in your life are with people who are not there. They're somewhere else. They may be so far away you've never met them. And regularly you argue with them or you let them tell you how to argue in your life and with your own head. And so his key here is so important. Don't borrow thoughts from others. Don't randomly just go grabbing stuff from people. Oh, that's like a thought. That's like a, like a smorgasbord th- thinking. That's bad. That's not how thinking works. Thinking happens by realizing there's bad ideas. And that people who follow bad trains of thought lead to further bad ideas that may in fact sound good when you promise the world. I mean, we can live in a Minecraft universe if we try hard enough. That sounds great. But like, like, okay, dude. And then we all die of starvation because you didn't realize that like there's actually animals and we need them to live, right? 
Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't just go find another pig and like wave some weed around and make a baby and eat it that night. I mean, it just, just doesn't work that way. So while, while I used to advocate Minecraft has a certain level of like computer initiation and um, uh, three-dimensional thinking, which is part of what I don't like about the games now. And that's me. Okay, so still figuring this stuff out. But like I, on the other side is the, is the drawback to it again, which is the fantastic assumption building that it makes. Same problem with Harry Potter at the end of the day. I mean, Harry's just kind of a jerk. <laughs> He's not really that interesting. It's great stories. Don't get me wrong. They're great stories. But Harry's just kind of a jerk, if you think about it. And, and um, he just breaks the rules a whole bunch. And then at the end of the day, you come away wanting to live in a universe you will never live in. Wanting to be... I mean, your kid does. You're Put the stick and shoot at people. Shooting with the stick. It's not a gun. It's a wand. Like, like, I mean, and I'm the chief of sinners here in a sense, but it's not about sin. It's about wisdom. It's about how you retain your thoughts and retain control of your thoughts. It's about how you know that someone else is not your king unless you have intended him to be, whether by right or by submission. Yeah. You want to know who's telling you what to think, don't you? When they just get to hide up in the echelons of hidden digital land. I mean, how do you know they are human at all? And no, I'm not talking about aliens. I don't need to be a nut job. <laughs> like all the atheists, that's all they can do is talk about aliens. Anyway, so like, uh, just because the talking head says hyperinflation, you don't have to believe them. Be skeptical. Now, this is the entire point of my show. This is why you subscribe to Mad, uh, Mad, Mad Christian Mondays. <laughs> this is why you subscribe to Mad Christian Mondays, the best news source you can possibly find out there, where we dumpster dive through all of the internet to find what actually happened and to try to tie it to a Christian worldview that doesn't assume the sky is falling nor pretends that the sky is not falling. But let's you make that decision based on the actual news. <laughs> As opposed to some sort of commentary on the news. Of course, we do put a commentary on the news. Usually it's this. Jesus is in charge of it all, though. So, like, it's going to work out. Like, bear down on what you believe. That's mostly our spin. <laughs> Which, like... Spin. Spin, right? So, like, uh, so, anyhow, anyhow. Uh, Mad Christian Mondays is a way for you to decide to borrow good thoughts on purpose. James Altucher reminds you, don't borrow thoughts on random. It's just not a good idea. St. Paul says this as well. He says we take every thought captive. Uh, we demolish strongholds with arguments. And so even from you know the mouth of, of the Philistine, uh, James, who, by the way, I say Philistine, and I'll tell you this. I, every time I get something from James, I pray for his salvation, and I pray to be the man who tells him Jesus is risen. So if you get close to that guy, you know him. You tell me. I'll come have a conversation. He won't get away from me. I'll tell him he's risen. You're a Jew. You don't get to not believe this. You're born of this, man. Just because your father's rejected it doesn't mean you have to. We have been so asleep, people. Okay, so what do we got? What do we got? We got some stuff here. Uh, what do we got? We got the main... The, speaking of being asleep, what do we got? By the way, in 20 minutes, Brian Wolfman was going to teach us 2 Thessalonians 2 so we can understand why saying that the Pope is the Antichrist is the most universally unifying, ecumenically purifying thing any Christian including Catholics can do today. And we could all bind around this together and actually do some good in the world, if we could all believe that, because it's really obvious, actually. So, but he's going to convince us of that later. For now, let me just tell you how, how asleep we've been as we've let the atheists run the society and tried to play on their tennis court, really. I mean, if you try to play on clay and you're only trained on grass, you're not going to do so good. And, like, this is how it is. Okay, so, so the major modern argument against the God of the Bible is that Jesus Christ, God, is mean. He's mean. I don't believe in, in one way to heaven. That's not nice. That's not fair. See, they say fair, and they mean nice. You don't know what fair means. We got dishonest scales all over the place. Who knows what a dollar's worth, ever? 
It's whatever they tell you. Oh, okay, that sounds like a religion. Because it is. Have you looked at the... <laughs> have you looked at the idols on the money? I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm crazy, remember. Incise your gates and let the spittle flow. But then again, is it if the shoe fits, wear it, or is it if the duck walks like a duck? None of that's in the Bible. But the fact is, what's in the Bible is that God consuming the wicked is good. And if you, for a moment, find yourself, like, emoting God consuming the wicked, that's bad. Like, think through your English for a second, okay? Like, like stop projecting yourself into the story and ask yourself, do, do you want a world? Do, I, I get it. Atheist doesn't want to hear a want story. It's a, it's a bad apologetic for you, atheist. Go away. The rest of you, do you want a world in which God does not consume the wicked? Is that what you want to pray for? You, you, do, you want, do you want an evolved world that does not progress toward a better future, but in fact, in fact devolves toward a descending chaos? Is that what you want? I mean, by the way, evolutionists, that's what you actually got. You're all talking progress. It's going down, and that's why none of the science works. I'll boast like it does, but it doesn't. You think evolution is devolution. It's variation by destruction. That's what survival of the fittest means. You're breaking the pieces apart, and you're losing valuable information all the way along. Anyhow, that's science. God, who destroys the wicked, is only mean if you're an idiot wicked person. And that is the biggest emotive, spiritual, philosophical firebomb of the last 400 years of arguments against Jesus. I mean, initially, it was like, well, the God of the Old Testament isn't the same as Jesus. Jesus is nice. And, you know, but they, they split off that way, and then it just all falls apart. JDBEP, blah, 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 You know, and they just, they talk themselves into circles of analyzing minutia. Let me give you an example. Here, I'll just, this was this morning. I found this really interesting. Maybe you'll think I'm crazy. Let's see if we can find it. I'm not going to find it fast. I'll hold up the resource and tell you about it. All right, so this morning, I'm looking at this book, Theological Word Book of the New Testament. Of the Old Testament, excuse me. It's an, it's an Old Testament Hebrew uh, etymology study. Like, so it's not just a dictionary, but it gives you like, all the background of the Hebrew words. Hang on, I've got this card set over here. And I'm checking out this word. What's it do? I'm checking out this word, ba'ar. Ba'ar, fool. I'm actually checking out a lot of words, fool. I'll show this off. It's fun. I like this stuff. It's pretty. But there's this word. There's the word, avail. There's the word, kaseel. Uh, there's the word at sale. Uh, there's the word uh, saaf. Oh, now we run into the oh, the twisted things. But I'm just trying to learn the you know the words, and especially fool. Since I'm diving into the proverbs the rest of my life, I figure I better learn what it really means. Since we use the word fool in English for like five different words in the book, maybe they're not all the same word. You know, and so studying that. Anyway, so what you find is this. This really random word that's only used a couple of times. It's like the, one of the least used ones for fool. It's the fool on fire. Uh, the Ba'ar. This is a man whose passion has so overcome him that he is destroying himself. And he can't see it. Right? So this is tied, interestingly, to the same word, Ba'ar, which the book says is a different word uh, that's about the consuming wrath of God that destroys things in order that good may exist in the place. Yeah. And uh, sacrificially even. Like God is willing to give up these creatures in order to bring good back. That's the kind of fire this is. And then in the middle of these two meanings, that's meaning one and meaning three, there's the meaning like cattle, beasts, 
Okay, and then so the, in the grammar is at pains to explain how the word cattle must, even though it used to be assumed to be connected to the other two, as if they all come from the same root, it must be some other word that we don't even know because of the pale pointing. Now, now, just follow me here. Pale pointing. Okay, so in Hebrew there is the consonants that are pretty old, but we don't know how old. The oldest copies are the 800s, and then we have the vowels that are not nearly as old. Uh, maybe about as old as the copies around the 800s, but definitely not like like Isaiah, <laughs> right? And so what happens is, is you have the transmission of a language with just the continents, and then orally they can hear the vowels, but over time things do happen. And now again, so now here they have a vowel pointing system developed by Jews after Christ comes in the 800s that they're going to use to make an etymological decision about something that happened thousands of years ago. That's how stuck in their own noses modernism is. Okay, that, that's my whole point. And then again, so when they say that God, that the God of the Bible is mean because he destroys the wicked, it's time for you to <laughs> pity the fool. Pity the fool. I see Brian Wolfmuller has, has come in. It's 9.18. He's not supposed to be on until 9.30. I got more to say, but at the same time, I think what he's going to say is super valuable. So, Brian, I'm going to make sure I boot up my... you probably get this in just a moment. I'm going to boot up my Skype um, and uh, give you a ring here. We'll get started early, if you don't mind, and we'll go as long as we need to to get us through what you have for us this morning. Let's see here. He's going to take me a moment. Why don't we just do this? All right, we are coming in back with Brian Wolfmiller on the line. He is pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. He is also findable at the Worldwide Wolfmiller, author of so many books and pamphlets and valuable resources that we've lost most of them, and no one will ever value them unless you go dig through his website. And this is the problem of the modern world, right, right, Brian? Like you do it and where to go. Um, most recent book, uh, Martyr's Faith in a... No, you know, it's uh, uh, And Take They Our Life, Martin Luther's Theology of the Martyrs. Oh, self-published. Self-published. Every time I'm on issues, they say my last book was without flesh, and I don't say a word. Let's let it pass. Let's let it pass. So, well, I, faith in a faithless world was um, before that. CPH. How about so? I I was doing research. I, you'll like this interesting tidbit. I don't think I've talked to you about it. Um, so I was doing research on what does Luther say about the martyrs. That's what kind of got me into it. And and I just searched Logos. So that's this Bible software that has Luther's works, right? And that lets you search all of Luther's writings in English for what he said about the martyrs. Hmm. And I was able to collect everything and write that book in probably two weeks. That's so which cool. Would have, it would have taken a hundred years ago. That would have taken twenty years of study. It's impossible. Yeah. Like, and and how and and this acceleration of time via hmm. the accessibility of information. I just thought you would find that. I think that is interesting. It has to do with cosmology. <laughs> um, and I would love to talk more about that. Um, I don't want to get distracted, though. But golly, I will be. The, the speeding up of time. So is it just the life of the human as he grows from infant to adult, realizes that a day is pretty short, whereas it used to be really long. So you're going to experience the speeding up of time no matter what you do as a human. But what, what, we're, what you're wondering, I think, and what I'm wondering, is if as we get closer to the, what, the unwinding, the rolling up of the curtain, the burning up of whatever's left of this place before it is, is rolled up, uh, is there also a contingent experience of acceleration? Um, or, thirdly, is this a matter of watching too much TV? <laughs> you know, does, does living on, on 
things that save time not save time. Um, maybe it spends time. So it, there's a, I think there's something here too, although this is your realm, not mine. I'm just, I'm like looking into this and I'm like, I'm always holding myself back from getting too far into this lest I end up like you, you know. So. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I, you know, you're down by the gates with the drool and the beard. This is know? true. I'm trying to, I'm trying, but the, and let me, let me give you, you're positioned as the, the sage father who's, who's sitting there ready to like give good counsel. That's right. The question is, you know, and no, there's no question. I think we're both positioned where we are for where we are. I mean, if you're going to be in the city of Austin and survive the next 500 years as a congregation, it's going to be not by being the gorilla mindset kind of guy that, that we're doing out here in the boots. So, you know, you're already the cathedral. We got to build one. And that's kind of a very different place. Here's so, okay, so here, here's me looking in on the edge. So, if you just think to yourself, like what your grandma would have wondered like I wonder I, I wonder what the people in sub-Saharan Africa eat for dinner hmm. and but to figure that out it would have been a trip to the library and you are and a whole afternoon to, to she thinks that and then she just lets it go or maybe she pursues it and spends three days trying to figure it out in the access and I just ask Google the question and it hmm. tells me in five minutes so in that in that five minutes, I've lived an equivalent of four days in a previous generation. And this and this, but the speed at which the at the speed at which knowledge comes then re- requires more energy. You know, like when you're when you're walking out in the wind, mm. and the and the stronger the wind is blowing, mm. the more uh, the, the more you just it makes you tired, right? And I don't wonder if this kind of retreat to the television is a way to waste time so that we can even it out. I so think it is, but I think it works the other way. So it, it, it's the illusion of rest. It's the illusion of getting away from the information overload to process. But you're just taking in more information and you're bypassing the frontal lobe while you do it. What are you doing? You're worshiping a god is what I think these days. I don't think that TVs are idols de facto, but I think in America, there's no way to be, go around it now. We, we treat them like gods. And uh, when, when the commandment says, uh, <laughs> you shall sanctify the day of rest, I've really worried about that one a bunch this last year. Worried, anxiety, eyes, thought about, prayed about. But like the thing that's most come out of it is that somewhere in there is the idea that when I read the Bible, I'm resting. And that's the only way I ever rest. And so if I'm sitting there every day going to watch TV and saying I'm resting and I've never read the Bible in the week as a Christian, again, I think my point stands. Who's your God? And, and so then when you find yourself experiencing a lack of time, well, that's what your God is doing. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. And I don't know. I'm outside this whole thing in, as an experiment. And the last thing I want to do is be the guy who says, well, you've got to be like me. I, mean, I, think, I think that's completely wrong. I think these tools are first article creations. But when the wicked man has made the idol start to speak and weep, do you still want to sit down and like hang out? You know, that's 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 the thing. That's the thing. I, I know what you're saying. Here, here, let me throw this analogy out there as a pastoral diagnosis. So, Terry has this thing where um, when she there's a name for it, Renads. When she eats, her fingers turn blue. I mean, mm. It doesn't happen that much anymore, but like it's because all the blood goes to your digestive system, and so it leaves the extremities. Yeah. Okay. And so we'd go to a restaurant. And she'd be like, "Look at my hands; they're cold. Their hands are cold." Mm. So, and this is true for all of us. Like you eat, and the blood goes to the to 
your belly to help you digest the food and everything. So if you just think of like uh, your body's metabolism as a heat map, it's moving all over. Well, we live in such a world where so much is coming at us so quickly that it takes so much, I think, actually energy to mm-hmm. process it mm-hmm. in the mind that what, where the blood leaves the heart. <laughs> How about that for a picture that I did? Yeah. The blood leaves the conscience. It's all in the mind just to try to manage. Well, and don't, and, don't lose this piece. Don't lose this piece. They're finding increasingly in psychology and psychiatry that your gut and your mind are tied to the same system of thought, actually. So when you're thinking and feeling, it's happening in both places. And wouldn't you know the ancients knew this? I mean, they talk about the soul is residing in the the spleen, for Pete's sake, right? So they they get that this is all tied together. You're right, though. The blood flow and the electrical currents, you know, the meridians of the body, there's three of them. And whether you call them meridians, you just realize you've got a nervous system, right? It's electricity. You've got a hormonal system. And then you've got a blood system, circulatory system. And that these three lines, that's what a meridian is, runs through your whole body. It's like, yeah, it is. And that as Christians, honestly, we should be able to start to look at this stuff that all sorts of pagans have been looking at for a long time and, and see some things they've missed. Which gets us, <laughs> I said the theology of the body, that's a term brought to us by the Antichrist. Directly. And I thank him for it, because he may have been a Christian antichrist at the end of the day, although I'll leave that judgment to Jesus. He can make that call. Can you have a Christian antichrist, and what are we talking about? Well, uh, that's why you're really here this morning, Pastor Wolf Miller. So here's, here's I'm going to pitch it this way for everybody else. That's an amazing transition, by the way. It's my one skill. It's my one skill. <laughs> uh, it's the best radio on TV, I tell you. I, you know, it'd, it'd be good if it weren't otherwise. But the... Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, I want you to convince me because I have been a, a closet Pope is the Antichrist believer through my entire queer subscriptionalism to the Book of Concord of 1580. And I am definitely queer, although I wonder what we mean sometimes by that. And I wonder if even that as a definition gets us off the rails of believing the Bible as we argue about Latin r- words. But, but. In all of this, I've always known and been able to clarify in my head. Okay, so the Pope is the Antichrist, according to us, because anybody who sets himself up and says, I'm in the name of Jesus, and like has lots of people who's following him, is an Antichrist. Like, that's just it, right? And so when he sets himself up and says, pay me to go to heaven, and he never takes that back, and he keeps doing it, like to this day, we're like, Antichrist. Right? But then the piece that like has shifted a little bit for me is how unifying this is, even if you talk to Roman Catholics. They don't like the word. So let's start with the word Antichrist. But it's, it's, if you can convince them that the Antichrist can be a Christian, you kind of can start talking into it a little bit, I think, maybe. At least that's what I've been talking myself into. But what remains in the way is an exegetical problem, which is that the word Antichrist is not Johannine at all. I'm assuming it's Johannine entirely, but not in Revelation at all. It's not in Revelation. It's only in John. So it's not like a eschatology word per se and then it is usually like unanimously equivocated with the man of lawlessness of second thessalonians 2 who is a hopox can we call it a hopox a single event passage which makes it one you want to be careful with right it's much better to have a lot of passages that say the exact same thing than one where it's like that's different like you don't want to set up your foundation on that usually 
unless you can't not. And that's what I want you to convince yourself with that text specifically today. So I'm going to see while you start talking, if I can bring you and it up on the page at the same time, the, the second Thessalonians text, um, but you go ahead and start digging yep. in there a little bit. So first, let me just say a word of appreciation for you in this. Uh, I've, I, um, you, you have done this thing where you've said, okay, what are the doctrines I'm ashamed of? <laughs> and then said, maybe that shame is indication of the devil. And what we should be is proud of those that the devil wants us to be ashamed of. And you did that with closed communion. And you said that closed communion is going to be our our chief evangelistic <laughs> gift. And that was brilliant. I had to write that down. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this, I like that. Thank you for saying that. And if I may tell a story from my own sporting career, um, my, my coach, Egbert, Egbert, who coached uh, soccer, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, um, he said, he said, uh, Johnny doesn't go where the ball is. Johnny goes where the ball is going to be. So, you know, take it for what it is. Please continue. You teach me where we need to be because I need to be more clear on this passage, and that's what I know. I just I have Second Thessalonians open uh, just straight up Second Thessalonians two so you tell me what verse you want to start at and we'll be there. Well, I just started verse one. Yep, that's where we're at. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that are gathered together to him, ask you not to to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, so in Thessalonica, remember this is probably the second letter that Paul wrote. He's probably writing it from Corinth. We're at the midpoint of the second missionary journey. Paul's been through Philippi. He's come down through Berea, Thessalonica. Uh, he was kicked out of Thessalonica because they accused against Caesar. That's going to come back in the argument. So he goes down to Athens by himself for a couple of days. There's two people converted. Then he goes over to Corinth. The other apostles or disciples, the other fellow workers, catch up to him in Corinth. And they tell him that, hey, the Thessalonians were. So he writes a letter to Thessalonica. 
back and forth the second level. Hey, Brian. Oh. Because I, I turned my mic off, I think you're working through a different mic than your good mic. Though we got comments in the side saying you might be on a on a different mic. So you want to check that? You're doing great. Otherwise, I'm just I'm just listening and learning. Okay, so let me try. The... Does that sound any better? Oh yes, it does. You better believe it, man. You sound like you could sing some soul right now. Like like go deep and go like baby. Like, I would start the Saturday morning chill at six o'clock, and then it'd be the ready to go radio. There you go. So, so you gave us some context. Second missionary journey, he's writing these letters back and forth, and it, it comes to him that they think that the day of the Lord has come on. And Paul writes, and he says, no, the day of the Lord has not come. Remember what I told you, that before the day of the Lord comes, there has to be this, and this is the thing that um, is in verse 3, the falling away comes first. So Paul says, and he goes on in the whole thing, but this is the, he says, the, the falling away comes from, and the falling away has not come yet. That which he who restrains is not let, oh, so let's go, let's go a little bit further. He says, you know that, um, do you not remember, verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. Oof, that's a key thing. The love of the truth. They might be saved. Okay, so so Paul says, remember what I told you. There's one who's restraining, and while he's restraining, the lawless one will not be revealed. But when the falling away comes, when the restraining one is finished restraining, then this lawless one will be revealed. So, so Wordsworth is going to ask a question. He's going to say, well, what was the restraining power? And then, number two, is the restraining power still in place? And then... If so, has the lawless one been revealed, and who is it? Yeah, and that seems to me to be the key question, is what is the restraining power? Sadly, I've had to dance around a bunch on, on sound issues here. You're doing fine, and I'm sure everyone else is following you, but but I've had some trouble with it just because I got our sound going. Mine was, mine was bad probably for the whole show, or somehow it jumped around, but we should be all right again. So, okay. yeah, so the key then is there is this man of lawlessness who is hidden, who the Thessalonians know about who God restrains who they know will be revealed and then it's kind of dropped there and so yep. your question is or my question is did they see it happen that would seem to be the normal thing you would get out of a prophecy written to you with a sign right um or or is it as i think most people take this uh, a prescription for just before the rapture Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the power that restrains is going to be the key here, and most people interpret that power that restrains as the Holy Spirit. There's a question, though, to that, because you say, why doesn't, doesn't Paul just say the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. restrains? Why does he say, remember what I told you? <laughs> remember what I said when I was there? I'm not going to write it down. You guys just got to remember what I preached. Yeah, that's and that's odd, isn't led, it? That's weird. This has led— 
a ton of the early church fathers to conclude that the restraining power was the Holy Roman Empire. And the reason why Paul doesn't write it down is because this is what he got in trouble for in Thessalonica. He's saying that the Holy Roman Empire is holding back the revelation of the lawless one. And when the Roman Empire falls, he'll be revealed. Hmm. In other words, Paul knows that the Holy Roman Empire will only last for a little while. While the empire stands, it's holding back the revelation of this lawless one. But he doesn't want to write that down because then he's they've got him in writing that you're saying that the empire is going to stand. Rome is eternal, and Paul's saying, no, Rome is very temporal. Yeah, but I think maybe I'm catching it in words here that you don't mean to say, and I, I kind of hope so, I think. We're really talking about the Roman Empire and that the rise of the Antichrist is the holy Roman Empire. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, the claim that Rome goes on as an empire as Christianity. Precisely. Mm. That's precisely it. That's quite a thing. So, so um, I'll read you some quotes, but I think the biblical proof for this is in your bailiwick, and it's the two age prophecies of Daniel. Remember how Daniel has these these prophecies of these ages. You're talking so you about have the statue the, and the beasts. Yep. Yep, and so you have the four ages, which are the, you have first the uh, Syrians, and then the Babylonians, and then the Greeks, right? And then the Romans. That's the fourth age. And then it's over. That's that's as far, and so, so these four great age prophecies extend through the Holy Roman Empire. But when the Holy Roman Empire falls, now that restraining power, and there's so much actually theology and, and practical stuff to think about here, but that restraining power is then lifted, and so the Antichrist can be revealed. Now, I'm interested in just reading a couple of the Church Fathers that talk about this, if that's of interest, but you ask questions first, and then— In what way was the Roman Empire restraining the Pope from being the Pope before mm-hmm. it fell? That's my question. Like, what? How is that restraint taking place? Because it's almost like saying the restraint is that they're pagans. <laughs> you know, like, is that right? Well, so so it's what happens is that this claim that the Pope is able to make is only possible because Rome fell. I mean, what Caesar would let a man stand on the throne and say, "I have both swords." Unless you worship me, you can't go to heaven. And that's so key. I have both swords. You must worship me. Now, the Roman Catholic will say, he doesn't say worship him. So you want to defend that real quick? Yeah, so uh, probably that. You have to be obedient to me. So this is the words of Unum Sanctum. This is back in, what, 1306, 1302 or something that says it's necessary for salvation that every human being be subject to the Roman pontiff. So to be subject to him and to recognize that he has his authority by divine right— is, Next time someone tells me, like, I'm a Roman Catholic, I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> 1302. What was it called? What was the Latin phrase you called it? Unum Sanctum. Unum Sanctum. 1302. Unum Sanctum. No, 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 no. Do you submit to the Pope as God? Like, by both sorts. Oh, no, I don't like the Pope. I'm really mad at him right now. Okay, you're not a Roman Catholic. <laughs> Get over yourself. Golly, be honest about your religion. Please continue. Uh, Tertullian, Ooh. he says that the... Uh, this so, Tertullian is um, the, the the heretic we like because he became a heretic later. He says that the ancient Christians had a special need to pray for the continuance of the Roman Empire because some terrible violence would ensue upon its removal. 
Irenaeus says that St. Paul, in describing the revelation of the lawless one, is describing what would take place on the dismemberment of the empire, which was then in being, which he recognizes as the fourth empire spoken to the prophet Daniel. Cyril, oh, let's see, just giving us, uh, uh, this is just a list of um, uh, church fathers. Where, uh, uh, what, uh, Here's another Tertullian. Uh, what is this restraining power of which the apostle speaks? It is nothing other than the Roman state. Hmm. I mean, so all the church so, fathers generally, or that talk about this generally agree, like, mm-hmm. and they don't even think like, oh, it's a weird argument. Like, they just, mm-hmm. they just assert it. Now, someone might say, yeah, but they're 300 years removed from Christianity. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm an Acts 2 Christian. What do you say to them when you quote the Church Fathers? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's so many. I, I don't. Which way do you want to go with that? I mean, we, we always, of course, the Scriptures stand above the Church Fathers, and the Church Fathers can get this wrong, and there are certainly Church Fathers who would have got this wrong. In fact, all these guys thought that the lawlessness would be one individual, the, the a singular person but they're looking at it from the other side they're under the umbrella of this prophecy they're in the roman empire and they're seeing that when the roman empire is destroyed this lawless one is going to be revealed we're able to look back on it and see that well the roman empire ended the lawless one was revealed but he continues on for generations so that we're able to understand it as an office so they did get some things wrong so i think we're okay when the fathers get things wrong but it is helpful to get back to see how the people who were receiving this prophecy were understanding it. That's got to be helpful. You can't reject that helpfulness. That's such a key thing. And and when I look at Revelation 2, um, meaning the last book, uh, so many of the standard American Christian interpretations, um, I'm just believing what the Bible says, uh, they read that book as if it was written today and they forget that it was written to seven very specific actual churches with some insider knowledge and that to assume that somehow uh, it's going to promise things they can't understand or see just seems a bit arrogant on my part. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, that's usually kept me uh, in the bounds of, of cessationism and whatnot, but uh, (laughs) you know, and no man knows the day or the hour. Um, Christians praying for a pagan king to stay on the throne that they might be protected as they know that the civilization, when it falls, will not go well for anybody. Uh, sounds a lot like building arcs because you feel like the society is falling apart. I mean, it's, it's not so different here. Um, it's not so different. No. One of the other questions that comes out of that for me uh, is, is I want to ask Dr. Goons this one. So when Napoleon cut off the Pope's head, he actually killed the Antichrist, right? So like, we always act like that was a bad thing. It was the end of Christianity and the rise of the modern evil age. And maybe it was. I'm just really curious. You know, we start mishmashing our terms. One of my frustrations right now is how mishmashed terms are. We use terms in English that have overlaps. And then we treat those overlaps as if they're like revelationally true. And they're not always, you know, it's really, really liberty. Liberty is a big one for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so from all that nonsense, I dispute, where's the clear line for again, we're going to assert from this text then that the the man who sits in the throne that claims to have replaced Jesus' reign on earth with himself is the Antichrist, a Antichrist, certainly one who's managed to do it for thousands of years, who runs a worldwide network of like 
outposts of his kingdom, his actual bona fide kingdom that has outposts all over the world, nonprofit. <laughs> you know, and 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 that behind all of this, there's a there's a pedophilic sex trafficking ring that's been going on for a long time that involves an island off the coast of the Northeast with all sorts of kings and famous people. I mean. It's just too much to believe, Brian. It's just too. It's easier to think he's just an old man. And they're all doing well, just like our voters' assembly. It's <laughs> more we want to say, huh? <laughs> so I'm going to read Jerome now. Good. <laughs> Jerome says, "Let us therefore say the Roman Empire is to be destroyed." Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Let us therefore say what all the ecclesiastical writers have delivered to us. So Jerome says this is the consensus of all the church fathers up to his point, Hmm. that when the Roman Empire is to be destroyed, ten kings will divide the Roman world among themselves, and then will be revealed the man of sin, the son of perdition, who will venture to take his seat in the temple of God, making himself to be God. Interesting. And St. Jerome continues, I think in a different place, if St. Paul had written openly and boldly that the man of sin would not come until the Roman Empire was destroyed— a just cause of persecution would then appear to have been afforded against the church in her infancy. So the reason why St. Paul doesn't just say, hey, it's a Roman Empire, is because he doesn't want to cause more trouble in Thessalonica. But we have this, So we have this universal thing. So here's the picture, is that even though the Roman Empire is trouble for the Christians at times of persecution, I mean, we, as we study the martyrs, we see that it is bad. But that overall... The order that the Rome that the Roman Empire provides, the Pax Romana that's there, is better than the alternative, according to the Lord's prophecy. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like Jeremiah. Uh, Pray for the <clears throat> kingdom in which you live, dwell there, build houses. Uh, you're going to be under a pagan empire more often than not as a Christian in history. It is not God's country. It is the God's country. And yet the order that that brings is the one through which the church sails. And when it collapses— uh, it brings disorder and pain and suffering everywhere. And you really don't yep. want to be in Rome when it gets sacked as a Christian. You don't. And I'm going to say this again, too. I mean, this just comes out of Jerusalem. Flee the hills. You're allowed as a Christian to move when you see it coming. You really are. So so then it's it's almost like the Lord has just given us like a help when he says, okay, now I'm going to just let this lawless one set himself up in Rome <laughs> so that you can't miss the point. And I'm going to have him sit on a throne like the people in Rome, yeah, where, and I'm going to have him— Where he killed uh, St. Peter and St. Paul. Right, <laughs> and I'm going to, uh, on their bones, uh, I'm going to set his throne, uh, and then I'm going to have every time— I'm going to put a crown on him, and I'm going to have everybody kiss his feet when he gets crowned on the throne. Hmm. As, as So you cannot miss that he's setting himself up in the Church of God, which is what St. Paul says here. Hmm. And he calls him the lawless one. Which is an amazing thing because our critique of Roman Catholicism is that it's legalistic, legalistic right? <laughs> but the lawlessness of it is that he's he says you, he, it's a first commandment thing. It's who you know who is above the the Pope. He has this divine authority. So in that same unum sanctum, which I was talking about with this, I go on this uh, this Catholic guy's YouTube channel every now and again, and he busts me over the head with all his Catholic stuff. And we were talking about unum sanctum because in there. It says this. It says, uh, over the church—no, oh, I should just read it to you. The church is not—I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I hate me, that. I, I, know the I just searched—I I search Wolf Mueller Pope. Well, look for and, it for a second, and let me, let me riff on lawless one here, um, because of, I, you're so right. Like, the man of lawlessness is the guy who, like, teaches justification by works? 
what? You know, but that's that's Lutheran namas fear, you know, trepidation. We, the word law, we just import. So I was talking about a moment ago. We import, import so much into the word law, just randomly in English, into the Greek, which may or may not have anything to do with that. With that said, so lawless being a word for sin, right? The man of sin is the other translation, the man who increases sinning. So what happens when you tell people you have to save themselves, which amounts to being perfect and living in a monastery the rest of your life? You know what they do? They pay you to be sinners. They pay you to then be their God so they can go live in the life they want to live. And they increase their sin. So legalism increases sin. Oh, does the law bring trespass? Is that what Paul said? Paul said that too. I'm not even making this up. It's just the Bible. Anyway, go Brian. <laughs> I don't, I, so I, I, I'm questioning if this is the solid ecumenical platform that you want to be developing, but we'll see, have to see. How oh, here, this is just it. Well, the ecumenical platform must divide. It must divide. You cannot oh, unite without dividing. And so we will have to divide over what is the most divisive issue in the history of the church, which is one man saying we all have to worship him, as you pointed yep, out. Right. It's very divisive. I'm, I'm bothered by it. So, so here's, here's my thing. Like, who's, I'm divisive? I'm divisive. The Pope is divisive. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get us to realize it. <laughs> here's, okay, so here's a couple of quotes. So again, this is just, if you just Google Wolfmuller Pope, there's a little thing, what the Pope says about himself, and mm-hmm. I've just collected all these mm-hmm. documents. Great document. Here, Furthermore, we declare, we proclaim, we define that it is absolutely necessary for salvation that every human creature be subject to the Roman pontiff. That's the unum sanctum. But that you say, oh, that's a long time ago. Here's Vatican II, 1962. In this Church of Christ, the Roman pontiff, as the successor of Peter, to whom Christ entrusted the feeding of his sheep and lambs, enjoys supreme, full, immediate, and universal authority over the care of souls by divine institution. Sounds that's like it hasn't second, changed much. I'm kind of double down that's on a, it. That's the second paragraph in the preface of Vatican II. Now, here's my favorite part. Are you ready for this? This will be so. Uh, this is a. Uh, th- I'm looking at Unum Sanctum right in the guts of it. It says, therefore, of the one and only Church, there is one body and one head, not two heads like a monster. That is, Christ and the Vicar of Christ, Peter. And the successor of Peter, since the Lord speaking to Peter himself said, feed my sheep. So so it says, the the church is not a two-headed monster. The church has one head, Jesus and Peter. (laughs) So now, okay, so either, number one, that's really bad math. Sounds great. (laughs) Or Peter is Jesus. Which is exactly what the man of lawlessness does. He sets himself in the place of God, in the temple of God. I mean, that the Pope claims to be the vicar of Christ on earth, and to have universal, unquestioned authority to rule in the church, is precisely what is precisely what Paul promised there. The only logic that makes that math make sense, that there is only one head, Jesus and Peter, is to say that Peter is the one head, and Jesus you can't get to. That's, that's what they're saying. And once you've said that, again, it's the writing's on the wall. This is—I'm divisive. The writing's on the wall, right? And so if we're as Lutherans going to be—think—people are going to think we're divisive if we say the Pope's the Antichrist, and then we can't play at their parties anymore, and we won't ever be able to have fun like we used to. Like, like this is why we're here. If we can't tell the rest of the world what's going on in Rome and how it's burying the gospel of Jesus being risen for the free justification of your sins, like, if we can't do that, what are we doing? And so this is where, again, my shame has become my glory, and I'm ashamed that I was ashamed. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's right. There's um. I mean, it's sad, but so so this document, this what the Pope says about himself. I always, this comes up in Bible class where people say, Pastor, is this true? The Pope's Antichrist. We Lutherans say the Pope's Antichrist. That seems really mean. I don't want to. And I'm like, okay, well, just read this, what the Pope says about himself. And they read the document, they're like, this is Antichrist. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. so this is my best advice, is not to trust, people shouldn't trust you and I on this thing, but just go read the consistent declaration of what the Pope says about his own office. And and, and this is, here's the problem. I mean, this is what it means to be Roman Catholic. The Catholics are always just giving us so much grief, I mean, about everything. But about how the, we, Luther divided the church into a thousand different, tens thousands of different denominations. Mm. Well, okay, the Catholic Church, there's one doctrine that unifies the Catholic Church, and that is the Pope's in charge. That's it. That's what it's divided nothing the church to do with thousands. Jesus. That's what divided they, the church into thousands. It divided the East and West before it divided us, too. And that, yeah. that argument makes me angry. They are so two-faced when they make that argument. The division factor, the reason there are thousands of denominations is the Pope. That's the mm-hmm. reason. Pity mm-hmm. seems. Continue. Yeah, it's crazy. And there's more, I mean, there's more theological diversity amongst the Roman Catholics than there is even in the Protestants. I mean, there's crazy nonsense doing better, frankly. <laughs> I'd rather right. be a Pentecostal Roman Catholic than a Pentecostal Pentecostal or a regular Roman Catholic. I'll say that. They're closer. I, you know, one time I saw this, this is weird. I saw this group of Pentecostal Roman Catholics from Italy getting rebaptized in the Jordan River. How about That's that? Weird. All right, that I want to read weird. you another line from Unum Sanctum, since it's open here and, and you like this sort of stuff. Um, I like dividing uh, the church. It's my job or something. Mm-hmm, oh, wait. Mm-hmm. We, we, are, we are informed by the texts of the Gospels that in this church and in its power are two swords, namely the spiritual and the temporal. For when the apostle says, when the apostle, this is Peter, when the apostle says, behold, here are two swords, Luke 22. That is to say, in the church, since the apostles were speaking, the Lord did not reply that there were too many, but that was sufficient. So remember when they're going out to the garden after the Lord's Supper? <laughs> what are they and smoking? Jesus said, so and know. Peter says, here's two swords, and Jesus says, that's enough. The Unum Sanctum says, well, obviously, that means the Pope has all authority in heaven. Yeah, and right, right. Why not? I mean, it totally would apply. Like, that had to be what they thought at the moment, and that's why they ran, probably. Oh boy! It's the two swords thing stuff. is really interesting, though. In the in the text, I always have wondered about that. Like Jesus says, like get a sword, but he he doesn't mean it, sort of. But then he he does, and then like it it uh, I referenced that through Psalm one forty nine a lot recently. When I say reference, I'm like I'm pondering these in the same time period, right? So grab two swords, a two edged sword in their hands. Um, the Pope is grabbing some language there. And applying it to himself, it may in fact be language that does belong to the church. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it doesn't belong to the church. It's that you would have one man say that from this church, meaning local, and this chair in my body, that's the only place you get to go to Jesus. Wow. Again, I, to say that that's wrong, I think it's a very unifying thing. You're right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think Peter told Jesus told Peter to get the sword so he could tell him in the garden to put it away. That's awesome. That's great. I mean, I bring it. your sword with you, and then he cuts off the ear, and then whoosh, put it away. Yeah. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So ten toes on the statue. Uh, was that was that Tertullian or was it uh, Jerome? It was one of the guys mm, you read. Jerome. Um, Jerome. That's that's pretty common to make that play. This is going back to the um, the statue in Daniel that shatters. 
and the legs were of iron and the feet were of iron mixed with clay. And so the legs are like Rome in its heyday and the feet are that splintery. Now I've always kind of seen this not as 10 Kings literally at that time, although that, that might be interesting to see if you could figure out who they were. And kings being different things, princes and whatnot um, in, in history. Um, but the way I've seen that is that the uh, the complete uh, ongoing reciprocation of this final empire uh, will have many heads. So many that you don't really get to count them because 10 is the right number, but you don't know what it is. It's just, it's enough. It's the right number. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so... Um, I've always seen that more as then, uh, I mean, this would be the Pope. It's not going to have 10 Popes, but that uh, through these toes now, it's really interesting way to look at it. So that, you know, one asserts himself as the highest, but then it passes on and on and on throughout history and keeps reciprocating itself. I've also thought the same thing about the the, the sword edge of uh, kind of the global world power. So um, what I haven't ever done is is ask, is Rome actually, you know, just by counseling, running the global world power all this time and still in charge? And well, maybe they are. Dalai Lama's kind of involved too, and a bunch of weird stuff. Um, I, go ahead, go ahead. I don't know. I don't know anything about that except for, but I, I, so, but maybe that's the point. I mean, the toes are always hidden, and there's so many of them, mm-hmm. and so I mean, maybe we're just living in the days of toes. It's, that's exactly it. So it's, it's the typo- <laughs> the typology of toes. Yeah. So that from that point on. What we see is global world powers that reflect the Roman attempt um, just to have a world power. And I think Britannia is a great, great picture of this. Uh, and it's in its peak. Um, and it's still, I think, in some ways is what we are. But it doesn't matter how you break it down again. that You're going to have this reflecting, refracting, um, exposing, repeating echo of Rome's fail to be Babel. Right to to be the the tower to God to to Godhood over and over again through history, and as God lets it happen and then crushes it, and lets it happen and then crushes it, and lets it happen and then crushes it, Christianity sails through on a boat with all of us dying all the time. Like we're we're sheep for the slaughter this whole time, right? But we're like, all right, because we're we're on a boat, <laughs> we're going somewhere else. Um, and that part of this ten-toed empire thing and understanding the why would Pope why would Paul tell us this? We're not supposed to know this. We're supposed to know that there's a global world empire run by an anti-Christian figure who says he's Christ and teaches falsehood. And whether it's like you in Rome community today, you're now going to hell. That's not the idea. But you are being tied to a very evil spiritual zeitgeist that over the course of history is not Christianity. It's, it's stealing it, right? And so for us to be excommunicated from it now and shouting that, I think it's just, I think it's fair. I think it's a fair thing to say. And I think that the more that we're empowered to um, not be ashamed of it, at least, I mean, golly, uh, not act like we're somehow having to apologize for being mean. Um, you could say, look, we're, we're not... When we say the Pope's Antichrist, we're being nice because it says that he sets himself up in the temple of God. And so we're saying that the Catholic Church has something to do with the church. <laughs> in fact, this is something that so small called. This is a big piece for me. And I've said this other places. You may not hear this one, yet, though. Like, so that move for the Pope to be the Antichrist, he has to be in the church. So that means that we have to acknowledge that from a purely visible point of view, the only true visible church of earth on earth is still Rome in terms of its dominant control of the agenda. It still sets the agenda for us. We're still arguing against it. And that's okay because it is the church. So then when are Lutherans going to figure out that we're not supposed to start new ones? We're supposed to take that one back somehow. Hmm. That's the piece that really got me, Brian. Like Hmm. we're sitting on our haunches. Like we're just supposed to set up shop. 
I don't know what the right way to go about this is. You know, prayer. Prayer. This so we there. Um, I mean, it is interesting that the Lutherans had that they were that the church in Rome abandoned them. They, you know, they excommunicated Luther. They said that they, his books were illegal, his doctrine was illegal, his life was forfeit. Anyone who followed him, they called them Lutherans, uh, to in order to cut them off from the church, from the visible church. They refused to send pastors. They refused to ordain. So the Lutherans then had to sort of go into survival mode mm-hmm. and say, well, what are we going to do now? In statu confessionis. Right. Which means you're not settled. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been, and we've been in that sort of, um, just thinking through this here out loud, we've been in that sort of state for a, for a while now. Interesting to use is, the word state. Keep going. <clears throat> we've gotten, so, and we've gotten used to it. Yeah. Um, we've gotten to like so. it. We like having well, may, yeah, maybe like you. It's like we've gone feral, you know. You've, it's it's we've gone wild. The cat yeah. has got, escaped yeah. and it's been running around long enough that it's just living off the birds. And but I think there's something. I think there's something deeply um, amnesiatic about that. What is the purpose of having the word Lutheran on the front of your sign? What is it? What's it doing? If it's not reforming the Catholic Church. If we're well, going to save the word, you know, if we're going to save Luther, it's, it can't be without continuing to believe we can reform the Catholic Church. We just need a longer game than like this week. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And we and 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 I it, I think this is starting. You know, I was looking on YouTube. This is an amazing thing for just a Lutheran Catholic debate. Hmm. It seems like that should be the debate. If anybody's going to have a debate, that should be it. But it's just there. Ha- there's just not that many. Uh, Jordan Cooper many. a couple of weeks ago. There's Luther no I mean, there's hardly any of those videos. There's no debates. There's no debates. We're all talking past Jordan Cooper was talking about some guy on the Pints with Aquinas a few weeks ago, and, and I thought, no, that's just good. I mean, it's starting – that conversation is starting to happen. It's just dangerous for the Catholics. I mean, they, they – when you start talking about Lutheran stuff, they start flailing around. I mean, they really – it uh, they really get excited. Um. And not without reason, I don't think, because, well, there's so many. I mean, there's just a lot there. So There are, and there's so many different ones. So it's really, I mean, lump summing the Catholics is impossible. And that they would try to make us, like, argue against them as if they're unified is really unfair again. I've met Roman Catholics and Roman Catholics and Roman Catholics. And the number that I actually believe, American Roman Catholics that I've met, that believe the Pope is, like, right on, and is, is, I don't know if I have, where they, like, def- one. No, no, the most the most Catholic man I have ever met. It was this is around Aaron Wolf's funeral time. Okay, so the the, the company that was working with Aaron Wolf, well, the most Catholic man I ever met, believes this is a false pope, and they wrongly removed Benedict, or not? Yeah, Benedict. And so, like, uh, <laughs> the most Catholic man there is said that the Pope is the Antichrist. Right, right. It's <laughs> it's it is a weird thing that you know because so and I and I thought about this a lot and I don't know what to. Let me just toss this observation out there, is that when Luther was writing the large catechism, let me no, let me take two steps back. Let me take a running start at this. Uh, Luther's understanding of the three estates, mm-hmm. that, the, that the world as ordered by God as, as state and family and church, is most clearly articulated in the in the third part of his great confession concerning Christ and his supper. And in that third part of con- the great confession, 
Luther's basically giving his own Augsburg confession. Like, here's my theological statement. It's like my, it's his theological last will and testament. And he even sets it up by saying, when I die, people are going to come and say, Luther didn't go far enough. He's too Catholic. No, this, I've, I've shaken every leaf of the, of the tree. Yeah, I've thought this, this through. Is, I know where I'm yeah, standing. Don't you I'm dare st- say that about me. And so he articulates the three estates and it, it's in the, it's in the second article. Now here, this should surprise you. This should, it surprised me. It's when Luther is talking about Jesus as the redeemer that he talks about the three estates. Now, how does he get there? Here's the logic. Jesus is the savior, which means that we cannot save ourselves, which means that all attempts at self-salvation are uh, wrong, including the monastery. Now, the whole medieval society was built on the monastery, is built around the monastery. So in the, middle, in the Middle Ages, you had the idea of there's those who pray and then those who work and those who rule or those who fight. They're, all, they're in these silos. But when the monastery collapses, so does the whole structure of medieval society. And then Luther sees the foundation that God had built, which was the three estates. And it was not three silos, but it was a house with three walls that all of us are living in the state and in the church and in the family. We're meant for all three, not for just one. So that Luther articulates the three estates in the ruins of the collapsed monastery. Okay? So so this understanding of the world as ordered by God and his rule comes as the gospel destroys the false building that was there. Correct. So 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 then when when the monastery leaves, you know, I mean the Augustinians left Wittenberg the, po- the Pope pulled out of Wittenberg. Now the question is, how do you rebuild society? And so Luther writes the large catechism and spends most of his time with the Ten Commandments because he's trying to articulate what the world actually looks like when it's mm-hmm. ordered by the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's doing that against the Pope. Hmm. Okay, so hmm. point one. Point two is whenever we want to talk about the ordered world, the only friends we have are the papists. <laughs> Natural law, that's right, man. <clears throat> whenever we want to say, hey, you shouldn't kill the babies, we're like, anybody else agree with that? You know, oh. Con- Confucius is technically on our side if we go back deep enough and apply his principles, honestly. But continue. Yeah, so, so it's a, it's, it is, we find ourselves in a somewhat disor- I mean, continually disorienting state, is that yes. when, we, want to, when w- w- we see Luther arguing for God's ordering of the thing, he's arguing against Rome, but things are so weird in the world today that if we want to find someone who says, you know, I think it's a marriage should be like a man and a woman <laughs> who there is like psycho. anybody else agree with us. And it's like the only people you find are the They're crazy. That might make a baby or something. Don't <laughs> do that. You'll get in trouble. Goodness. So three estates. I, I am continuing to decide that I hate Plato. The reason I hate Plato is because Christians think that we need Plato to survive and we Consider the fall of Platonic Republics equivalent with with the fall of the church, and we continually mix and mash these things. That's what's going on right now is we have a Platonic Republic. didn't work. It's it's impossible. And and kingdoms are, in fact, what God made. I'm not saying kingdoms work so great. It's just what God made. But I'm kind of done letting Plato's words, meaning individual terms, tell me how to think about the Bible. So the three estates is, is a great example of this. I've been, like, running around this one because the word state... It's not really a biblical idea in any way. Anyway. So how do we talk about these estates without that? And here's what I came up with. I think you'll like this. I don't know how to, it's not a label. 
But this is what we mean. That a father walks the way from the home to the altar and then to the gate and then home again. That is, the father walks the way from the economy to the place of philosophy and then to the place of theology. Again, the altar is the place of philosophy, the love of words. The gate is the place of theology. Who's your God? And then he walks back home again to the economy. Those are biblical words. Something tells me if we just kind of think that way, it's better. I, this is so something. I mean, I would have so I would have put um, philosophy. Wow, this is. Amazing. I did that first. I had it backwards, I, and I flipped it. I went, wait a minute, though. Where do I need men to love words? Right at the altar. Where do right. I need them to love their God at the gate? Right. So I mean, yeah, that's a inner, tied. that's a inner, I got to press on that. I the the I I have somewhere on uh, a start smart with, note. Start with, with home the, altar gate. Stick with home yeah, altar yeah, well, gate to start. Yeah. I think you had altar. You had uh, you had hearth. Mm-hmm. Hearth, altar, gate. Yeah, there's good. Uh, it, it, and I, you did that. What do you mean? That's good. That was. <laughs> I forgot the word hearth. Well, I didn't. I didn't do that. Hearth and altar is from, um, golly, Walther League. But then they borrowed it from further back. This this goes to somebody who's you know older than a couple hundred years. And then adding gate to it, if I did that, then yeah, that was that was a stroke of, of inspiration. So gate is in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's the it's the it's the um the courthouse is in the city center. Yeah, it's the public the square, the market, um, and in some ways the synagogue too. Um, I think gate I think gate is Speaking of which, when do we stop going to synagogue? Why do we stop doing that? Shouldn't we just go to synagogue and like listen and then when they let us talk, talk? It's not the same idea, you know. Why don't Lutherans go to Catholic mass like all week long? Like if all our Lutherans, if we went to Catholic mass at eight a.m. all week long and then asked the priest questions, we'd waste all his time. He'd have nothing. They'd have to pay another guy. We start depleting the resources. that's like the plan of whenever the Mormons advertise a free book of Mormon at the Super Bowl, everyone should order five of them. You know, yeah, just... right. And then burn them all. Right. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. So the, the, um, the, what's the, uh, unless the Lord guards the city, those who watch labor in vain, that's one of the most beautiful places where Luther articulates the three estates and he calls them then the, the, the home and the city mm-hmm. and the church. Yeah. So uh, instead of saying, instead of thinking of state as these sort of great mega states that we have now, right? It's the city. That's the that's the state where we are, um, right. where we're called and where we're placed. The king is a man who has a hearth from which a table is fed. Period. That's a king, right? Uh, a priest is a man who prays at an altar, and uh, <laughs> well, again, uh, um, I guess a prophet would be a man who speaks in the gate. If you're a Christian, I don't know how to put that, but the idea again is that Christians own all of this. And I think finding biblical terminology will help us own it because we'll find it in the Bible more rather than have to do like philosophy over here and then Bible over here. Mm-hmm. But owning it is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You would make it your own in your language, right? And then begin to apply this reality um, that you are a member of uh, the state, meaning your neighborhood first. And what you've done lately. Have you been there? Do you know them? Right. Those kinds of things are, I mean, for Americans, those are repentance questions. Those aren't like, have you thought about it? You should try. It's like, dude, repent. Yeah. Hands in the air. <laughs> it's hard. Well, and we got it. So we got to do our podcast with the garage open. So That's people right. can walk by. And... That's right. Well, I mean, okay. So uh, I needed a shop, right? I needed a workshop. And like, I, if I, I don't know if I told you this. So 
where I've been in this house we bought by the lake, um, which is beautiful and just right near the church. Uh, very fortunate. Um, there's like a great room and the great room's kind of in the split level basement and there's a big stone hearth there. And so I've been set up down in there and I had like couch and I had a library and I had all my stuff, but hey, it was my room or anybody else's room. I tried to share it, but it wasn't getting used much. Now, the hearth isn't built, built in the best place, so that, that's a problem. But I decided though that like having a great room that only I use isn't great. <laughs> and so we've, we've like repurposed that whole room into there's, uh, there's five desks. Each of my kids has a desk and then a couch and the library is still all down there. And so it's just, it's really kind of a cool spot for them to have their space. And I, I, I don't want to say I got put in the garage. I, I grabbed the garage with both hands and I have, I have been gradually teaching myself to be a handyman. Um, lots of mistakes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I really enjoy, um, the, the freedom to make those mistakes, which the garage has afforded me and which working with wood again, uh, has afforded me. Uh, so the biggest issue has been echo. I ordered a, one of those things that would go like right here, like around yep. me and it's not here yet. Cause last week there was echo, but I realized that if I open the garage door, the echo goes away, but you get the birds and the dogs and everything else, but yeah, it's America, whatever. So, yeah. That's great. I don't People know are going to wander day. by. They're like, well, what are you doing? Dude. So you, my, you selling Bitcoin? Seriously. Yes. The, the, um, the dream, Brian, I've sold this to all y'all here. Look, like it is a lake right here. There is a circle. There is a woods right here with like five hidden paths. It's all in a square block that is right off of this congregation. We're outside the city in the county. The city's right there and they need us right there is farmland. We can be the place between the two. And honestly, I'd love to have all sorts of mad Christians walking their kids through the neighborhood every Saturday morning while I do this for the rest of my life. That would be amazing. And that is in fact the dream. I, I can't afford to go downtown and put my window on the city street and do radio down there. Right? So you're right. I mean, here it is. I, I don't know. I got like five pastors in every direction. So I'm not converting anybody to like, my church anytime soon. <laughs> it's all these pastors living here but what i realize also is like you know heterodox as they or we may be we're all praying to the same jesus about this neighborhood in this corner which again i mean whose side are we on that's one of the questions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's one verse that we didn't get to let's do, do it you still and have second thessalonians up there i can i can bring it up in a moment by probably doing this and then oh look we're both there look at that so the last verse is 11 for this reason, God will hand them over to strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Do you see that? Do you have the ESV? It, it might not say the lie. Wait, no, I, I think I have New King James open. Yeah, and, and it says the lie. Twelve is just as much, and they all may be condemned. God sent—I mean, this is, Brian, this is mean. You're, this says that the Almighty God, whom no one can stand against—the Bible is very clear against this, about this—that he actually consigns some humans— like some humans are living their life and everything's going along. And then one day or somehow or eternally, God consigns them to delusion, to believe a lie. So they will be condemned because they did not believe the truth. Hmm. Yeah. It's no, you're fright. It's frightful. Here's <laughs> the thing that I, I spent, I spent a, Oh, I don't know. A year trying to sort out because Paul will twice use the phrase, the lie here. And I think in Romans, Hmm. And it's not a lie, it's the lie. Definitely, I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, there's a bunch of lies. I mean, every, there's, I mean, millions of lies. How can there be one the lie? Well, you know, I, I completely agree with you. You probably have an answer. Um, like the first chapter of Broken, I think, is like the devil's one lie. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not about you. It's about you. I think, here's what I think. 
the lie is anything that that stands against the the single truth of Jesus is Lord. Yeah, yeah, sure. Jesus is Lord, and there's a million ways to pervert that, but every one of them is the lie. So I'm the Lord. Jesus is not the Lord. Jesus is not the Lord for you. Jesus is only partially the Lord. The Pope is yeah. the Lord. Whatever. That's the lie that Jesus is not Lord. That not Jesus is Lord. Yeah, you are. That Jesus is partial Lord. Whatever. Jesus is Lord. That's the that is true. That's what it means to be a Christian. We say Jesus is Lord. We worship Christ. Yeah. And him alone. Yeah. And any and the devil is just he he's in every angle coming after that truth. And with the Pope, he's come after that truth in two ways. I mean, this is the whole point of the Reformation. Luther says Jesus is Lord. That means you're not. <laughs> It means your works are not. Yeah. It means the Pope is not. That When Jesus claims that, Lord, this is First Commandment stuff, that means that anyone else who would exalt themselves against the Lord is is lying to you. But it's not just what the Pope says about himself. The, the, I mean, the essential horror is what the Pope says about Jesus, that, that he needs your help to save you. Hmm. And that is a doctrine of despair and death. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the lie is the incurvatus est assumption, the natural religion of man, uh, that if there is a God, he needs me. And what he needs is for me to do something. And whatever I decide I think that is shows that I'm the God I think I'm worshiping. But I don't know it, right? And so, yeah, the, the devil's lie is you. Or, or, like, salvation is the fact that Jesus is salvation. That idea. Straight up, he, like he died, he rose, you know, uh, go listen to Dave Matthews Christmas song sometime. And like that guy, I mean, he might, I don't know, but like he heard something, he got something. Okay. So Jesus is the center of this thing. And then what the devil does is like, yeah. And, and you're like, oh yeah, it's totally, totally, totally. But it doesn't seem like that big a deal. And then like a hundred years later, oh, it's like that other thing. And Jesus is way over here <laughs> and your kids are like, not there. You might not be there. One of the Brian, golly. I turn 43. Half my life have left, give or take, unless God takes me sooner, which he might, and I'll welcome it at this point. Uh, falling away. There's something healthy about being afraid you might. There's something healthy about knowing you won't. Right? And you kind of got to have both of those things happening. Does that sound right to you? Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a rhythm to law and gospel, which I'm just starting to get on. Um, Luther teaches us in the catechism, when we wake up in the morning, let all my doings in life please me. So uh, please thee. So that, like St. Paul says, we fear the Lord. We make it our aim to please him. We, we wake up thinking that we need to earn our salvation. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's that, that's grossly stated, but we we but make right. we we wake up with the love of Christ compelling us to love God and the neighbor, and then we go to bed at night and we look back on the day. We say, "Forgive me for all that I've done wrong this day." Hmm. So it's always so, so. It's like um Moses is standing in front of us and Christ behind us. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So Moses, what am I going to do today? Well, you're gonna here's the rod. And then we turn back and we look at look at all the mess I made yesterday, and here's the here's the blood co- covering it all. So uh, so there's a rhythm to law and gospel. This is hard to preach to ourselves because the devil always wants to do it the opposite. He always wants to you know he always wants to compel us forward with fear, with, uh, fear. without the fear of God. Yeah. 
and then can and then look backwards filled with the fear of God. Yeah, he wants and, us to have fear of man. Yeah. Fear yeah. of ourselves, fear of him, fear, fear of, of death. The world, fear of death, yeah. Fear of death is this slavery. Right? Fear of judgment. But all so of that a, even is is again the the idea is that we've got to placate. We've got to satisfy. Mm-hmm. We've got to please God. And so I'm not against Paul's language um, to make it my aim to live according to his, his will. But then the lie is to think I do that from a position in which he's not already pleased. Right, right. The fact is, God is tremendously pleased with me in the midst of all of my sin, the moment that I wake up every day. And the thing he wants me most to do is to remember that I'm an adopted immortal son of God so that I can stop living from my flesh naturally and start applying his word to the experiences I have, which frankly, and this is my complex, they don't line up with reality. My emotions do not line up with reality. 15, 30% of the time in my life. And the more I'm able to see that, golly, the more I hope for the eschaton. Mm-hmm. But to believe that he's pleased with me anyway is, is essential. It's essential. And then that's where then, acknowledging that I can fall away and then realizing that I haven't, I don't see how that doesn't just make you double down mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. I'm a son of God. I'm washing the blood. I'm immortal now. What am I afraid of? Mm. Talk There's, is cheap. Talk is cheap. Talk uh, is cheap. I was, I was in um, uh, Luther's uh, Magnificat commentary. Ooh, that's good. And he says that the gospel does two things depending on where you are. If, it's, if you have much, it makes you afraid. Hmm. And if you have little, it makes you confident. Hmm. So, and, and I, and I think he means the preaching of the gospel. So preaching along gospel, but there, if you have much, like the more you have, the more people you have listening to you on YouTube, the more afraid you get, mm-hmm. yeah, the right. more, the more yeah. children you have, the more afraid you get, mm-hmm. the more people you have listening to you preach, the more fear of God there is in you, the less you have, the, the more money you have. Yeah. So that as the Lord, if he gives you, if, as, as you start to have you know, negative money and then zero money and then more and more and more. So the more you have, the more afraid you are because the less you be lifted up with pride, the less you have, the less health you have, the less life you have left to live, the less, the fewer friends you have, the lower your station in life, then the more you, you look up with confidence. So there's this, this, it's, this is a bad word to use. I just don't know another word. There's a balancing that law and gospel does lest the haughty become haughty, or lest the lowly become despairing. Or, or maybe we could say, lest the exalted become prideful, and the, and the, and the humble become despairing. You can see how so, it really is. So that the, yep. And so there's something, you know, so you say, look, I'm 43, I've written a couple of books, I've, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my garage on Saturday morning, and people are listening to me. We ring a church bell on Saturday, and people come and sit down diligently with their children, and pay attention to what I'm saying. Uh, uh, people stop me on the street and take selfies with me. I don't know if that happens. I'm just it happened making, I'm one, just... like we TV second year in <laughs> in an airport. Weirdest thing. Only time. <laughs> so so you say okay that that all causes every time the Lord gives we are afraid. And every time, you know, this is, I mean, this is, the, the, who is we're, I sent you this note the other day about how Jesus talks about having money as a liability. It's a danger. Mm-hmm. So all these things that, these we understand these as great dangers and temptations. But when the Lord takes away, we don't despair. That we we're, we rejoice in, in the lowliness. So, 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 but this is the kind of contour of, 
I think, of life, really, in the Lord's name. So you made me think about Ecclesiastes, and when you're talking about um, Luther's comments on the wealthy and the poor, and the poor having the confidence. This is, I think, the point then of Ecclesiastes and the point of the fear you have that, say, the Lord gives you the cattle on a thousand hills to handle the starvation of Egypt. You know, you're Joseph. You got to put, you know, start doing the math and all this. Like, if you think it's up to you, you are going to be afraid in a very horrible way. If you mm-hmm. believe God has given it to you, your fears, it's, it's different. I'm going to call it joy a little bit here, a little bit. <laughs> it's kind of mm-hmm. like, well, this could go wrong, but for such a time as this. And mm-hmm. what I hate, Brian, is when I say stuff like that, I'm like, man, they're going to think I'm an evangelical now because the evangelicals talk this way and we don't. And Lutherans, we got to figure this out somehow. We got to get our biblical language back. You, as a poor man, see clearly because you see what everyone is really having, and all the rest is emperor in new clothes. In, in yeah, emperor's new clothes, parading about with a, an attempt to be something that's not. It will all go into the dust the day of your death. It's better than the day of your birth. Ecclesiastes. When mm-hmm. you can see that, you are free every day, all day in that moment. When you when you start having to save what's here, oh, I have this money, I gotta keep it or make it. Blah, 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 blah. Now you got gods. Now you got gods to, to worship that are not the true God. And that is the conscience's plight, right? I, I, the, the thing then as Lutherans is, okay, so we can diagnose how there's idolatry of the heart. But when are we going to start realizing that idolatry of the heart, okay, we can't stop doing that. Should we stop the idolatry of the body? Like when we're mm. as humans doing idolatry? <laughs> Maybe we cannot do that one the way we try not to murder. Maybe we can try to go to church every Sunday. Like as if God said you have to. Like it wasn't a suggestion that you're not going to hell if you don't go one week. But like, where is the fear of God? Luther talks about this with Mary. He says, so you have the first danger, which is Mary is so lowly that she thinks God has forgotten her, has nothing to do with her, mm-hmm. that he, so that's the danger of despair when you've got nothing. But then he says the second case is even more dangerous. The Lord comes and gives her the greatest gift ever. You're going to be the mother of God. Mm-hmm. And he exalts Mary to the, to the highest human being ever to exist, aside from Jesus. And that Mary receives that with humility. Mm. And she thinks she doesn't think more of herself than she ought. So there, there's a way that the Lord will give things. I mean, the Lord, like you said, the Lord gave to Joseph all the, I mean, five years worth of food for a country. Seven. Or seven. And uh, th- th- so the Lord did that for a reason, but there, there's a danger that comes in the gift. So the Lord mm-hmm. gave you a house. That's he, So you don't say, okay, look, this house comes with temptation. Well, yeah, okay, but look, the Lord gave it. Now he wants you to, so we can receive the Lord. I mean, there's a place where we just say, you know, we worship mammon and, and repent, but the God who says, that... the God who says don't worship mammon also says, let oil adorn your crown. Right. You store in the money, storing the money means not using the money and the money's there to be used. And I just kind of lean on that more and more. I haven't taken everything out of investments yet. I don't know if I will. I got some Bitcoin. But it's not because I want to store it. I, like, like the moment I can put this somewhere better, I want to now. I just, I just don't see how holding any of it does us any good. I get the pl- endowment plans. I get why they're there. But I don't know. That's all built on a belief of dollars never going away. So and I don't know if I believe that myself. Mary, a sword will split your own soul too. You know, I um, mean, she, she knew the burden of being a sinner uh, contra Rome. Uh, and yeah, uh, to be, to be, the prayer of a girl comes to mind as well. I, I've been pondering that a lot recently. Um, in fact, that word 
this word that I did earlier in the day, the, the, uh, the fool on fire. This is the word Agur uses, uh, Proverbs chapter 30, um, the prayers at the end, but the start, he says, I am more of this than any other man. I do not know anything. And he asks, who is the Holy one? Who is his son? Can you name him? <laughs> Cause Jesus saying in the old Testament, not, not even a little bit, but, but Agur, his prayer, uh, which is like around verse 12 or something. It's, uh, you know, Lord grant me two things. Let me neither be, uh, wealthy. Lest I forget you nor poor. Lest I steal and profane your name. Put that one in your cycle and pray it. It's better than Jabez. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Jabez wasn't that's bad. Great. It no, wasn't bad. Just not magic. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly, I mean, this is the, exactly the point is that every state of life comes with temptations. They are different temptations. I mean, even with age, you know, temptations change. Um, and it's one, <laughs> where was I? And so, I mean, back to our ecumenical platform of the Pope being Antichrist, I was reading in Luther and, and he was talking about how, uh, how they're all, it's like the only sin they worry about is lust. He's like, hasn't the devil ever come to trouble them? <laughs> you know, that's like, true with American Christians and American Lutherans too, Brian. I've, I've, I mean, it's a problem in America. Pornography is a problem in America, but like, I get the impression it's the only sin we're ever worried about. Mm. I really do. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's, there's, there's like nine other ones and coveting like twice, right? Right. Right. I mean, it doesn't help that we're in the midst of this sexual revolution, oh, which gosh. says that there's no such thing as a sixth commandment. And we're like, wait, really? Well, hold on. Uh, so that doesn't help with our, I mean, they keep bringing it up. You know what I mean? But, but this is the point is that you're, you're a hundred percent right. It's not all there's So the, the Lord has given us so many, uh, constraining gifts or gifts of constraint in the commandments. To, that that give us the way of life, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're just so we're you know we're just our gods are our bellies. This is what keeps us alive is just eating and drinking. Crazy, crazy yeah. people. But but with all this happening, um, I do think the last two years have been akin to the snakes of fire in the wilderness biting the people, and giving us a, a sincere chance to authentically repent, which the people did at that time. Um, the intertestamental period speaks of them uh, and, and says that, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but the, they were pricked by the venomous poison of the serpent that they might not forget your wonderful works and return to you. And uh, that, that is this last uh, 2020 and on, I think, for the entire Christian church on earth. I think that realizing the Pope is the Antichrist is part of what we're supposed to all be doing together, and I would like to catalyze that as much as possible. But it also means, before it's about recognizing the Pope can unify us by being our enemy, um, is realizing that I have made a lot of other gods priorities in my life, and that these are not a matter of like my inner heart idols. This is not like, like, ooh, how do I purge the sin from inside? It's more like, again, as I said earlier, for three hours a night, I sit and stare at a talking image. It doesn't talk about Jesus. Hmm. Like you, I know you you're that in the Old Testament. I like to watch this show called Alone, where they go out and live in the woods. But I was thinking to myself, how weird that is. It's like I'm watching people. It's like I was gonna do. I want to start a new YouTube channel. Or mm-hmm. tell me how great this idea is. It's gonna be me watching my kids watching someone on YouTube play a video game. Oh gosh. That's the problem, right? It's like it's like it's like wheels within wheels, but the wrong way. So here's here's the thing I, I would suggest to you. It's like you're it, not even playing. You're not even wasting your time playing a game. You're wasting your time watching some other dude play a game. 
That's like watching poker or like golf or something. It's like watching someone watch someone play golf. I there's there's do YouTube a, channels too where people golf. like watch people eat eat food. There's there's people with like millions of viewers where all that person does is log in for breakfast and eat their food. And and this makes money. I'm gonna watch this So again, I'm gonna say I'm idolatry. Gonna I'm gonna say idolatry is what all this is. It's idolatry. You're putting up an image. So you need someone on your wall eating food so you can eat food and feel good, okay? Like this is idolatry. It's like the definition of the term. If you wanna challenge me on this, that's fine. I don't mind that at all. And I'm talking about my own repentance at the moment more than anybody else's. But um, here's my challenge then. You, you want to say, oh, I don't think that watching TV is idolatry. Okay, then take notes. Always. Always take notes. Never stop. Okay. See what I'm going to try that and see what happens. My guess is you'll just think your way you out know of this alone. You'll get bored with the TV. You'll be doing so much excellent work and thinking so many cool things, you'll get bored with the TV. That's what will happen. You'll just get bored. And then maybe when you're bored and gone from it, you'll be like, you know what? Sitting there all that time was like, idolatry <laughs> you know and it's not it isn't like the kind of I, I don't i'm not like like uh let's walk into you know the, the woods and chop down the tree these are first article tools all idols are first article tools these are first article tools how are we using them what your body is doing i think is a big sign right now we have been disembodied the more you can say is my body worshiping this thing the more you might be able to see it <laughs> and for me it's helped free me it's helped free me and so i i want to share that um enlightenment uh but like the last thing anyone needs to do is think that by like doing some less tech they're going to justify themselves or even sanctify themselves because that's not it that's not it at all yeah so yeah yeah huh? yep i you, you reminded me of um this I, so can i plug two things please so plug lots uh, of things. hold on let yesterday me give you the whole screen for a second hold on because you're i want everyone to see what you're holding up oh goodness that's the wrong one here we go oh cycle through windows that's not what i want to do either <laughs> sorry Brian. Here you go. They got you now. That's all right. <laughs> this uh, this book, Luther Letters of Spiritual Counsel. So I interviewed uh, Professor John Pless yesterday on a particular letter in here. Uh, so that's on the YouTube channel over at Wolfmuller One or on the podcast if you want to be doing something helpful while listening. Uh, but it, in this, so Luther's writing a letter to a lady who was disturbed w with the doctrine of election. And he says, you're being bitten by the snakes Look to the serpent on the pole. In other words, the, the solution when you're being bit by the snakes, theological affliction or any affliction, is not to look at the snake that's biting you, but to look at the snake that's on the pole, to look at Christ. Hmm. And, and so he says, the, the high, he, Luther says this, fourth, he has four things, but this is the last one. The highest of all God's commandments is this, that we hold up before our eyes the image of your dear son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, where does he talk about the snake? But this is the idea that the, when the snakes are biting you, you put your eyes over on Jesus. It's really, it's really quite beautiful. And then, uh, so that's first plug is that video, but then, uh, Professor Pless is coming down here in August to teach on this class. And I'm hoping a bunch of people will come to that. It's a continuing ed class with the seminary, August that's 24th cool. to 27th. When are you going to be in uh, so, Chicago area? That's for the Issues Etc. Conference. Yeah. That's like the end of July, right? July 22, 23. Right, is it, right, and they're letting yeah, real people be there this time, or is it all, 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 uh... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's no restrictions. So wow. Jeff Schwartz is worried that, that you know, that's going to be so full that it's going to be a super spreader event, and the Chicago mayor is going to come and punch him in the face. Uh, she so I think reach, more people should come, and Jeff will be all anxious about it. She's too short to reach Jeff Schwartz's oh. face, definitely. Um, 
Well, I may come come down and see you then. We had thought about last time. My wife and I were like, let's get an Airbnb the night before and invite the world to show up and party. Got to find the right Airbnb though. But I'd love to have you, you know, hang out the night before and uh, we'll, we'll just invite Mad Christianity to show up. I don't know. Yeah. The, the night before, I'm going to be at the International Lutheran Deaf Association Conference, Ooh, also cool. in Chicago. So Thursday and Friday morning all the way through mid afternoon is the is the deaf conference uh so i'll be there first and then over to issues i gotta go do some other stuff like questions this morning uh but like talk about the deaf ministry of st paul austin you've been learning that now for a year so two years so uh, there's two churches yeah two so two two different congregations so st paul lutheran church and also jesus deaf lutheran church which has its own building on south congress right across from the uh, uh texas school for the deaf and um it's the only deaf congregation in Texas and really in the South. I mean, they, these are go less and less and less. I mean, sorry, Lutheran. So, yeah, we don't have a deaf ministry anymore. The, 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 that deaf culture is one of the most um, unchurched cultures. And, and it's an interesting thing to think about why. This is mad Christians just reflecting on what the cause of that is. But it seems like one of the chief causes is this, is oftentimes that deaf children— are children of hearing uh, parents, and so there's a there's a communication gap between parent and child. So the children go off to school, but the parents can't pass on the faith. So that uh, so so that being deaf sort of isolates you from from your family. So anyway, it's a great ministry. It's a great congregation. Right. <laughs> you know what we did? This is the classic move that we put deaf uh, ministry and and blind ministry together. And the problem is, if you have people who are blind and who are deaf, they can't talk to each other because the blind people can't see sign language and the deaf people can't. <laughs> and I think at that point, it's like, how long? Well, that's just kind of uh, that is not wise. OK, so how about this? The other day, you'll like this. The other day I was praying for uh, for Richard, who's a member of the congregation. He was having surgery. surgery. This is surgery. And so I prayed that the Lord would give uh, wisdom to his doctor. And so, I, I, so I, this is wisdom, and this is doctor. But I prayed that the Lord would give wisdom to his doctor, and that is a prayer for an Egyptian deaconess. <laughs> That's like magic and stuff, man. They said You're you all, didn't pray, Pastor. You didn't pray. <laughs> you didn't pray for a for a wise doctor. You prayed for an Egyptian deaconess. <laughs> It'd be awesome if you got one, like like three years from now. That's what I asked him. I went to see him in the hospital. And I said, I said, was your doctor Egyptian? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's great. So like, so, so like, anyway, I'm still are you are you? Uh, you can repent of this heterodoxy though, right? That's the kind of thing where like you, you, you do the prayer and it's to the, it's to like Baal on accident, right? The Egyptian nonsense. And then you repent. You're, you're not technically a, a heretic. Yeah. I don't think like, goodness. Thank you. It, That's looks, right. Well, you know, so it's, I've the Lord saying, is giving me the gift of tongues very, very slowly yeah. on this, but I can do the liturgy and sign now. And now we have a, 
we have a deaf only Bible study oh, wow. so that they so I have no help. So they want me to be out there. It's great. It's been great. So I think a couple tongues, more years I'll be able to preach. The gift of tongues in your hands. That's right. What they, that's what we call it. It's the, it's the, the gift of um, uh, hands. So uh, instead of saying, uh, oh, Lord, uh, open my lips, it's, um, how do we say, oh, Lord, bless my hands huh. for huh. the preaching of the gospel yeah. that's in ASL. Yeah. Just don't let them take away the oh, open cool. my lips are going to happen on the last day. They're going to say hallelujah real loud, you know, and they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it. So, um, yeah. but yeah. Can you imagine the, gift the of first words you hear are the words of Jesus? Yeah, I can. I can now. Uh, and I, and I, I can. I'll, and I'll share it. Why and how? Because anybody who's dealt with the kind of trauma that I've dealt with knows that when you die, it's going to feel a lot better. <laughs> it never, it, the pain doesn't go away, Brian. Pain never stops. Uh, I can find it immediately. It's in my bones. Um, it's gonna feel a lot better, and and that's a that's a nice thing actually. Again, I, I consider this a mark for me. You know, it was it is what has made me who I am, and it's what made me who I will be, and my confidence is this uh, in the eye of the storm and all. Um, so hey, I got a bunch of other questions from viewers. So, I'm gonna get to yeah. Go ahead. I'll tell I'll tell you. So on that, so everyone has a signed name. So if a deaf person gives you a name, so it's an, like an abbreviated name, so you don't have to spell it. And so Saint Paul's sign name is this is P, and it's. It's P in the side like this. So the thorn in the side. Oh, interesting. Like that. So so mm. Paul is, is defined by his affliction. That's awesome. I think there's different names for Paul too, but that's the one that we oh, use, Paul. Use thorn the in the side. Affliction. So it's a good word. And so for the so to know that the Lord has he's he's put a thorn on the side, and sometimes he wants that thorn to stick. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey. I hope I convinced you. So I don't know. You did. But I mean, I was already can... convinced. I just I just need more biblical arguments. I already kind of know what I'm pushing for at this point because I get the confessions aren't wrong. You know, and so the Pope's the Antichrist and the church is Rome, and we should really be honest about this. But the word affliction is also the word humility in Hebrew. It's also the word to be subjected. It's also the word to be answered. It shows up all the way through Psalm 119 over and over again. I would have perished in my affliction. And there it is. Uh, before I was afflicted, I went astray. It's all over Psalm 119, which has also got this amazing bit. I remembered your mishpat of old, O Jesus Christ, and I have comforted myself. Uh, there, is, uh, there is a comfort for the afflicted in knowing that your humiliation has been absorbed into the humiliation of the crucified king and that his resurrection is your undying reality that the blood which you eat and drink indeed will not leave you in the grave brian thank you for being with me today hey do you know that you're in faithfulness you have afflicted me yeah that's in there too it's right? right it's all over it. yeah it's a and good word and luther's the one who teaches the way to be a theologian oratio meditatio the tentatio that's from psalm 119 oh, i do it doesn't, uh, is it doesn't surprise me have you heard me say this yet will you try this if you haven't tried this yet i pray Eight verses of Psalm 19, four to five times every day. I start with Olive. The next day I do bath. I've been doing it for about three months. It's awesome. Try to stoplight. That, that five-minute stoplight you hate, have your Bible. Have the, go. Just You'll have time. It's glorious. It's glorious. Psalm 19 was meant to be prayed every day in bits. I, I mean it. So Brian Wolfmuller, St. Paul Lutheran Church, Worldwide Wolfmuller, many books, Table Talk Radio. He's on issues. You can find him. Whatever, and, and, oh, I, I'll give you this one too. Um, someone reached out to me recently and said in Puerto Rico, where we have LCMS missionaries just recently starting to go, they found there are two Lutherans 
way out in the island who listen to three guys. Two of them are on the screen. You mentioned Cooper earlier. You know, it's kind of cool. You know, um, the the mission is preceding the missionaries to plant the seed and have the fruit grow when they get there. I think it's great. And you do a lot of that. So thank you for being there. If you guys haven't found Brian, find his stuff and whatnot. And I will be back in just a moment to answer your questions because we've got a bunch of those coming your way. We're going to do at least an extra hour here this morning on the Mad Christian Saturday morning. Chill. Stick around. All right, so we're coming back in early here just to get going. I don't, I don't want to uh, lose any time, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this here. I don't, I don't lose any time. You lose time all the time. I would like to just continue because I'm in a good mood. I want to go. So, um, and I got a few more things before your questions. I will make these brief, but I think this one is super, super huge. I am increasingly rejecting senseless, non-biblical, meaningfully looted, broadly confusing, distracting categorical terms like vaccine, addiction, state, and white. Um, there's been some discussion about the word white before in various places. And again, the reason I am not using it is because it's becoming a wide categorical, categorical term without a meeting other than one that is used to harm me if I allow it to be applied to me. And so I won't. The word state is another one of these terms. It's like, what are we even referring to? Brian used it earlier to talk about like your state of existence, right? A platonic state is, is an idea. Um, so that's important to question. You know, does your state like Illinois matter nearly so much as the state of your heart? Not really. All right. So, um, and are they even connected to each other? Only if you let them be. So th- that's why the word is broadly confusing, right? It's not a good category. Addiction. We're going to have a question about addiction in a little while. Addiction is not a great category. I mean, I wrote a poem in college because I wrote poetry in college because I took poetry as my major to write it because I thought I was going to be, I don't know what I was doing, but a rapper. Um, I had never thought of it, but maybe I should have. Anyway, uh, I wrote a poem called My Favorite Drug is Oxygen. Because I realized I was addicted to it and I couldn't stop. And about that point, I realized that maybe some of the, the things I was shaming myself for weren't the things I needed to shame myself for. Maybe addiction isn't the problem. Mm-hmm. Maybe addiction isn't even a thing. That's not true. You can be physically addicted to things. But I think a lot of things people are addicted to, they're not really addicted to. They're just worshiping, you know? So, I mean, again, addiction is just not a helpful term necessarily. We're going to come to that more later. Vaccine, I've mentioned this before as well. Vaccine is a term that is not scientific at all. It refers to vastly different attempts to do things that we inoculate you with injections by or to inoculate. It is a wide and broad attempt to inoculate you against a variety of things through injections that are not the same. And they're all called vaccine. It's like if I serve you an orange fruit and a red fruit and a green fruit, and I said they're all apples and they're not right, but they are. You have to believe it, right? Well, the category doesn't work. So I'm increasingly rejecting such categories, and I think I think you should too. Honestly, they don't want that helpful. That is the coolest word. You know what that word is? That's the word Zion in Hebrew. Check this out. I think this is super cool. It's a mountain. Mount Zion. I think Hebrew has got a lot more in it than we realize. Um, the Republic is a platonic state. It's a non-solid. It's not real. It's a myth. It's an idol. The Republic. The Republic is a platonic state. Think about it. The sun never sets on the BBC. That's interesting too. Lutherans will die. Lutheranism will die. Unless it learns to try. <laughs> Let's Luther die. Uh, repents of our greed. And modern conservative Lutheranism... Modern conservative Lutheranism's relationship with other Christians is the would-be father who just scolds his children for a lack of knowledge. Ouch. All right. So, mostly that there. And we'll go over here. For your questions, Bible answers and my nonsense here, we got a bunch to do, at least an hour coming your way. Mr. M says this. 
Greetings from Wisconsin. I'm concerned about finding a faithful confessional Missouri church, Missouri Synod church in my area. Um, but they all offer traditional and contemporary services. Band in the gymnasium led by a worship leader who has connections to interdenominational evangelical ministries, not a clergyman. Am I being too picky? Uh, probably not. If I refuse to join a church that would even offer contemporary services. So services only lead to terrible worship practices, enthusiasm, mysticism. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a slippery slope. Your thoughts would be very much appreciated. Yeah, I've never seen it really lead toward a, a greater sacramental devotional piety. Um, uh, however, with that said, there are lots and lots of liturgically operating congregations filled with idolaters who worship the building they're in and the bad organ that's played and don't care what the pastor says as long as he doesn't bother them. So, like, is that really any better? Uh, the biggest question to me would be, when you talk to your pastor at these churches, when you get aside with this pastor, what's this pastor's long-term goal? Is he like, well, okay, so like I inherited this band. And like, the guy's a Christian, and I'm working with it. Or is he like, dude, what's your problem? Like, this is great. Like, those are very different places. Those are very different churches, okay? And so to answer your question is, again, I just mentioned, like, we should get away from some of the broad brush categorizing. I don't even know what the word contemporary means anymore. I really don't. And I don't know what traditional means anymore. What I know is that if you got a screen in the room because you need to worship the TV, then that is a different playing field than we usually have this conversation on, isn't it? Now, And that's the world I like to live in. The one that's about our bodies and what we do with them and how we glorify God or do not glorify God with them. What do we glorify? when we worship screen. But that being said, just because someone has put a band in the gymnasium and abandoned the altar of Jesus' body and blood doesn't mean they know what they're doing. <laughs> right? And so it doesn't mean that they're intentionally going heterodox. At the same time, I'll just give you my advice. Like for me, I'm the pretend I'm not a pastor for a moment, right? And I move somewhere and they got a, any type of like, we have two different types of service with regard to the worship style, and they use the word style, I'm not going to the church. I'm not going to that church. I'll tell you again, I'm moving my family to somewhere where I can go to a church where that's not going to be a fight I have to deal with because that's going to be Christians fighting amongst Christians until the pagans kill us. I would rather build with Christians until the pagans fall apart and then we go help what's left, right? And so in that regard, certainly to tie yourself to a, a newfangled electronic spirit of the age that has displaced biblical preaching. Well, you really want to do that at the same time. I, I will say this too. This is full fair disclosure here. In the last three days, I have rediscovered contemporary Christian music. I went on a deep dive. I looked at a lot of it. And you know what? Most of it's crap, but you know what? I found like eight songs. I can't stop playing. You know why? They just say what the Bible says. And it's about Jesus being my savior and about me being washed in the blood, and about me being a son of God who lives without fear. You know what? I could use a little more of that in my life. So I'm not ready to say that everyone who's ever listened to CCM once, one somewhere, now ain't a Lutheran and can't play. But I am going to say again, if your institution thinks that the salvation of itself exists by inserting electronic music and screens into the sanctuary of God because the word and the altar aren't enough, you're going to get the God you worship. Hmm. You know, so, so that's that. Are you being too picky? No, you're caring about the food you eat. However, are you willing to be picky enough? That's a bigger question. Such services only, and so I, I don't know. I don't want to condemn everyone who's ever played a guitar in church. And I'm willing to bring one in. Again, honestly, 
not to remove the organ. <laughs> There's a lot you can do with instrumentation without having to set up a rock band and a trap set. And you can help people sing better than playing really slow, loud organ over the 15 people who show up. I mean, there's a lot of little edges to this reality that aren't just either or. And this is why the broad categorization doesn't help us. With that said, revivalism is revivalism. It's an anthropology that teaches this. For man to be saved, you must excite the senses. And to excite the senses, you need something that's not word and sacrament. (laughs) You need, you need at the very least a preacher who's really entertaining. Like, you know, like me. You got to have it though, otherwise it doesn't work, which is nonsense. And then, got to have music to move the heart. And while I really love good preaching, energetic, I prefer good preaching just that I can listen to and that he tells me what the Bible says, which is hard to find. And then I, I, I don't need the music to always move me. What I need is the music to not get in the way of me singing the words about Jesus. That's what I need. Uh, Often I need the music not to move me. (laughs) You know? We're idolaters of all the tech that we have built. We are idolaters of electricity. We are idolaters of ourselves being the saviors of America through Christianity, through our work to convert. We're idolaters of ourselves saving our churches through our efforts to do anything to save our churches. That needs to be repented of. And it doesn't really matter what instrument you like. I will praise him with the dance. I will sing praises to him with timbrel and harp. Context has a lot to do with it. But I don't think he meant and a statue of Baal and I'm going to let you all do whatever you want with your lives and no one's going to care because God is good. God is good all the time. Like that's not what he meant. So it's just not this easy as either or. And I would suggest that whatever church you can go to where you can listen to the pastor teach the Bible and he really does and he gives you the Lord's Supper as often as you want it and he'll hear your concerns and give you a word of counsel out the door. And if you absolutely need to meet with him, he'll meet with you and not tell you to meet with like some bodyguard or something. If you've got that, even if there happens to be a praise and worship service down the hallway, maybe don't leave right away, right? Maybe start talking to the pastor and find out what the long-term goal is. But again, if he's like, well, we got to get the mass and vaccine mandates going, it's time to leave. And remember, I mean, it's about worshiping the state. It is. It's about worshiping the state. There's a reason that contemporary worship, non-denominational churches always love 4th of July more than everybody else does. It's about worshiping the state. And so beware of how the tying of tech worship, screen worship to the state of America being a revolution of the kingdom of the Antichrist and to the Pope's like global hegemony, but the, you know, the global power of the sword that's enacted right now, um, stop worshiping it. You know, stop worshiping it and maybe sit back and realize one of the most amazing things that's happened at St. Paul in in Rockford recently is the Saturday evening service that we have four o'clock every Saturday spoken. Now, there's been some questions recently since we're up to like 12 people regularly about music. And I said, well, as soon as you guys want to like pony up the cash to pay someone else who will come here and pay play, you know, we we can do it. But do you want to do that? Do we want all that workload? And then a couple of them are like, you know, I really like how we just read the songs, like the hymns. We read them out loud together. We, we read the liturgy out loud together. There is something that would, I, I would miss it if I get to sing on Sunday morning, right? So I'm okay. I got to sing all I want. And, and Saturday night, like this, the simplicity of just letting the words be the words. And so I'll tell you this, people, LCMS, we solve this in a hap, heartbeat. We say 10-year moratorium on music in our churches. Gun, it's just over. No more music. I know all the musicians we trained. I know, but we, 
doesn't matter. You want to you want to unite? Let's remove the audio offer that's dividing us. There you go. It's very easy. But but it's not easy. Why? Because it's an idol. Golly. <laughs> On both edges of the aisle, a lot of the time. Now, to be fair, those who idolize the liturgy do so usually because they love the sacrament and Jesus. So it's the kind of idolatry you can only do when you're right. That makes sense. Um, but then again, nah, Rome does it too. Yeah. So mm. I would visit a Wells church, you say, but I know they wouldn't give me communion or even let me sing the hymns with them. God bless you and yours. Well, that's not true. They'll let you sing, I think. And then they were not going to communion unless you join. But if you join, and why would you not? If you got a better pastor, they are Lutherans. The disagreements are, I don't call them moot when they happened. I don't know if they're moot now, but they're like the kind we should be able to resolve pretty quickly given the circumstances. Really, we should. We really should. Institutionally, we can't because, again, idolatry. We just love our institutions way too much. So the Lord's going to tear them down. Meanwhile, visit a Wells Church. Like, like, are you close enough to find, I, I should really know. I think it's St. Paul, Milwaukee, but it may not be. Pastor Benjamin Steenbach's church. Google Pastor Benjamin Steenbach. He's in Milwaukee area. You're, you're in Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, uh, if you're in Milwaukee, go to his church. For pity's sakes, um, there's other good churches there too. But I mean, you can find those. But try his. Um, if you're in if you're in Wisconsin, you're cl- close to the south border. Come to Rockford, like visit us. It's an hour away. You know, come here, go to church. It's, we got people come from the east that far. So like, you know, it, it is what it is. Go to the church that is local, wherein you can be watered, or move to one where you can be watered because it matters more. You got a long time left. It's a long game here, and honestly, <laughs> the corner churches they haven't even started trying to close us yet, like with laws. They're just letting us do it to ourselves right now. X, X, X. Tangent. The next time they tell us to put masks on, I'm having my wife sew a star of David on the front of mine. I just let it sit. Think about it. I'll say it again. The next time they tell us we have to put masks on, I'm putting a star of David on the front of mine. Uh, that's where I'm at. Uh, this one comes from, uh, <laughs> I can tell you in a moment. Oh, come on now. This one comes from Mr. H. Mr. H says this. I understand that this is not the place for pastoral care. However, I don't have a pastor anymore. I'm a preacher's kid, and my confessor father passed away a few years ago. My family has since fallen away from the church. This is all really sad. I already made the mistake of losing the habit of attending church while I was in college. Then my dad passed away. You mean died? Yes. My mother, a retired Lutheran educator, is not attending. It. God bless her. God bring her salvation. Uh... There's, there's just too much. It's not non sequitur. It's not non sequitur. That's the sad part. So uh, she now watches live stream Lutheran worship service on Sunday. Sacramentarian and much, yeah. Uh, but also evangelical TV programs and reads their What Have You Done for Jesus books. She's trying though, probably. She's probably just starving. Uh, I bought her Luther's works. That's that's heady stuff, man. Uh, Pastor Wolf Miller's books, less heady. Um, and I mean, not in a bad way, like, but more accessible. Um, and other good Lutheran literature that I've read, but they are just sitting on the shelf. Yeah, she's not really interested in 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 this. Um, but so that's one thing. But we're really going to talk about you, right? Um, so my siblings don't go to, and since we all live separately now, I have no idea what kind of faith they have. That's very sad too. This is all sad, Mister H. I have. I pray day and night. God bless you. I recite the Psalms. God bless you. This is the, the lifeblood. Um, I study the scriptures daily. Good for you. But I can't escape whatever spirit of melancholy or laziness that is preventing me from going to church. Your pastoral advice would be beneficial, even if I already know the answer, for I know the one whom I trust to turn. God bless you and your children. So the answer is repent. Oh, I just made noise. The answer is repent. Like, you don't have an option. This is not up to you. You weren't. God didn't tell you go to church if you feel like it. God didn't tell you Look, I just raised you from the dead. You see that? Now, if you want to, once a week, go to the altar 
and acknowledge you need a public place of worship to be my child. You don't get to not do that. Where's the option? When you, when you are forced, when you are confronted with murder, do you ponder it? Or you say, no, that's wrong. When you're confronted with adultery, hmm, shall I lie? Shall I not go to church? It's not a question. And you know the answer. This is why I'm saying it to you, right? So you're going to go to church, right? <laughs> now, finding ones we just found, it's not always easy, but it doesn't matter, dude. Take your Bible, you read your Psalms. I mean, you sit through the whole one. Don't walk out. Don't give them the pleasure of walking out. If you find one you don't like, open your Bible, read the Psalms the whole service. And then afterwards, look the pastor in the eye and tell him what you think. And you walk out. <laughs> we need more of this. And um, you need to not be alone. The Lord's Supper is not something which is required that you take in order to be saved. It is not a work which justifies you. It is, however, a way bread of eternal life. It is a feast of immortality. It is the foretaste of the feast to come in, in the present. It is the flesh and blood of Jesus going into your body and veins and life and action and everything. So um, take the tourniquet off, man, and find a place where you can eat. Because uh, when my father and my mother forsake me, then Jesus Christ will take me in. I believe that's also Psalm 119. What a psalm. If you're not praying it, you're missing out on life. Uh, here's the addiction. Uh, confused long lad says, uh, as a former addict, I've been struggling with the Lutheran doctrine on addiction for some time. Now, this is really interesting to me because I'm not aware that we have a doctrine of addiction. That's a word, doctrine's a word we use for like very specific things. But we, there may be a teaching or a general approach that you find amongst Lutheran pastors that, that probably is true. Uh, but also I want to come back to, as a former addict, okay, this is where I reject this category. There's no such thing as an addict. There, there are people who abuse medications. There are people who worship idols. But there are no addicts, okay? There, there are sinners there are simple, ignorant people. There are people who are slaves. But an addict is the idea that, like, I don't even know what it means, honestly, because it's supposed to apply to all this different stuff. You know what I'm addicted to? Of all the things in my life, the thing I, besides oxygen, my wife, I'm not a former addict. I'm a straight-up addict. Am I proud? No. Do I need the anxiety it causes in my life? Not exactly. Do I love that first zip? Yes, I do. <laughs> so like, I want you to change your category because unless you're going to start applying the same morality to coffee and sugar as you apply to alcohol and pornography, stop using the word addiction and start using the word. I used to look at pornography, but I've stopped. Okay, good. There's a start. I used to drink too much. I used to medicate with alcohol. I've stopped. There's a start right? Addiction is the path to not having to confess it. It's not having to confess that it's me. It's a, I'm victim. I'm powerless. Now, dead in your trespasses and sins, but you're a Christian now, right? Made alive in Christ. So you hear me? You hear me? I, I, I don't I mean to berate you, but like, I want to free you from the language. So as someone who used to be an idolater with regard to very specific things, Recently, you've struggled with the Lutheran theology of idolatry. That's right. We don't have one. Um, not a very good one. At least we don't talk about it if we do. Uh, and you've arrived at the conclusion. John says that those who continue in willful sin are not in Christ. Okay. So this is the Lutheran doctrine of addiction is that if you continue in willful sin, you're not in Christ. And we apply that to like all sins of the heart. And therefore, you're going to like condemn yourself, right? This is where Lutherans 
inability to distinguish between sin of the heart and sin of the flesh, sin of the hands, you know, active sin, is killing us right now. And all our debates about 30 use and blah, 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 all the stuff that we're yelling at each other about, we're just unrepentant over actual sins. Actual things that we need to do, like deal with, right? And we and we want to apply the idea of willful sin to like my feelings, but we won't acknowledge that the real willful sin is participating in mythologies of grand national global significance. <laughs> so you know, hear what I'm saying there? Like so, and you, so you're like talking about what? Are you talking about porn? Are you talking about alcohol? Uh, you're talking about is it crack? There's an addiction. If we're going to use the word, right? Is it crack you're stuck on? I, I doubt it, right? You wouldn't be writing like this if you were. So, John says those who continue in willful sin are not in Christ. What does he mean by this? This is 1 John. What he means is that if you like your sin, if you are ashamed of your faith and not ashamed of your sin, then you don't have any faith. Okay? That's the point. The point is not that if you like trip up again somewhere, that therefore you're not in Jesus now, which is what you're doing. Stop that. This incessant internal purification of the conscience is like a, it's like a medieval Roman disaster. This is what Lutherans are supposed to be freeing everybody from, not insisting on. You can do nothing worse. You can do nothing better than this. Assume you're saved until you die. And if you find out you're wrong on that day, you're in hell. But like, since you're reading the Bible and listening to Jesus, you're not wrong. Assume you're saved. And then don't continue in willful sin. What does that mean? Does that mean I drank more coffee today? Does that mean that I slipped up and I watched pornography last night? Now I'm not a Christian anymore? I get it. So like, we say that when, you're going to say this in a moment, like, like when David, was with Bathsheba. We're like, well, he's in willful sin. Okay, so like Bathsheba's a real body. Porn's a dream cycle, okay? Alcohol, that's something with your real body. Uh, but at the same time, is is drinking two beers a night addiction? Is that addiction? Do you need to repent of this? Is that sin? Do you see how the categories don't help? Those aren't the categories God gave us. Where does that line up in the actual Bible? Where does it line up is when you've had enough alcohol that you're hurting people or saying words that aren't words you should say and you've forgotten to pray and read the Bible. Now you've got a different God, right? So there are the good things of God that are created for us to use and then we take them and we set them up as our saviors. And that's the problem, not the things themselves. So again, I mean, I'm not going to say there's a good use for crack cocaine, but, but like, like, by and large, the number of evil substances on the planet is pretty low. Even plutonium has a use, right? So, so this idea again that you're gonna that that your conscience. Let me say it this way: what you're doing is you're saying that my tendency to be tempted, the fact that temptation must come, I'm taking that as willful sin, and therefore I should go to hell, and I don't know how to believe anymore. This is what you're doing. So stop it. Temptation is not willful sin. Temptation is what must come. Willful sin is when you're like, thank God the temptation came. I can get out of my house and do what I want. That's willful sin. Okay? Big difference here. Luther and the Confessions agreed and taught that when manifest sin is present, the Holy Spirit. What does manifest sin even mean? What's that even mean? Define that. The word sin in English right now through King James. I'm not talking about Luther, man. You can't even, are we talking in German? We're in English. So we're a long way from Luther. And the idea of manifest sin in English and to say that when it's present, then the Holy Spirit is not. You can use that again to condemn yourself right out of the faith with no good reason whatsoever. Just because you have some like bad feelings one afternoon. Which is, not, 
That's not what it's about. It's about like hold your hand back from the activity. Not be tempted by it or never be tempted by the activity. Christ was tempted by the activity. Perfectly, yes, you're not. There's sin there. That's not the manifest sin John's talking about that's going to go away. Your heart's never going to stop being tempted. It's nuts to think that. Yeah. So, but almost all LCMS pastors I can find, including my own, reject the view that addictive, willful, pre-planned sins means you have fallen away. I don't reject the idea that, that who rejects this? We, all, we should all teach this. Addictive, willful, pre-planned sin means faith is not in evidence. And on the other side of that activity that you plan to do against your conscience the entire way with your heart going, no, don't do it. No, go do it. No, go do it. And you do it. If on the other side, you're like, yeah, and I'm going to cover it up and hide it too. That's, that's unbelief. Okay. But if on the other side, you're like, oh God, Jesus have mercy on me. Guess what? You're a believer, man. Stop applying like universal categories that aren't in the Bible to yourself or to anybody else. What Luther is trying to get at, what John is trying to get at, is if you think sin is good, you're wrong, and you're not a Christian. If you think sin is bad, Jesus saved you. It's it's very, very straightforward, and we've made it way more difficult than we need to, largely so we can argue over who gets to keep the buildings, the institutions, the artworks, and all those kinds of things. So, the church, he goes on, confused on that, says, historically teaches that when the sin gets to this point, you have fallen. No, I'm not going to say that. You don't get to know. You don't get to know. You don't get to watch your salvation from the outside and make declarations about it. You get to be baptized and believe it or not. I mean, you're just, you're just you're chasing fantasies. You're trying to purge your own heart. Not going to happen. Who has clean hands, and, clean hands and a pure heart that may ascend the hell? Of, uh, I'm going too fast. Who has pure hands and a clean heart that he may ascend the hill of the Lord? Well, Jesus. That's why he ascended. But guess what? He said, baptize people into my name and guess what? They're with me when I ascend and they're there forever and I am theirs. They are mine. They have been adopted as my sons and I will never cast them out. So again, let's just suggest that what John is speaking about here is what we need to do, which is repent of evident sins when God makes them manifest to us. Straight up. And not run around worrying whether I've fallen out of the faith. I should run around assuming I haven't. I'm a son of the kingdom a feast on the body and blood of Jesus. I'm washed in the name. What is the world or my own heart going to do to me? Pray the Psalms. Hmm. Now everyone repeats this added nuance that you can intentionally repeatedly sin, but as long as you struggle against it and don't want it, Christ still has you. Um, well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it that way. You can intentionally repeatedly sin. Um, but you're, you're acting like you have a lot more power than you do, I think, when it comes to your day. And this is one of the big things about the, like the modern world. I, this happened to me yesterday. Like I got up and I had one thing I wanted to do yesterday. One thing. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy one kind of screw. I'm going to use it to one kind of thing. As the day progressed, after I'd gone to the store and come back, it became two to three kind of things that were needed. And that just never happened. And because the store again, didn't have what I needed and Amazon did and days away. And my plan didn't work. My expectation of what the world was, wasn't real. And what I'm suggesting a little bit here is that that's the way you are approaching this here. Uh, The idea of intentionally repeated sin that you struggle against, in which you can somehow like intentionally try to sin and struggle against it. Like, like that's not what John's talking about. So there's a sin of weakness, which is that you're tempted and you fail and you want to come back. Help me, mercy. And this is going to be a common experience in your life in terms of the heart. Now we're talking about the hands, though. It should not be a common experience of the mouth that your hands 
are sinning. Your mouth is going to do it more. Your heart's going to do it the most. You can kind of shut the mouth. If you just shut your mouth, you'd sin a lot less with it. And then the Bible says that, you know, that James and Proverbs all over. And then um, the hands, again, these are the things you'd be like, put them behind the back. I'm not going to act. And when as a community, as a Christian community, we see that dude acting in that way, that's one of the Ten Commandments all the time, we can say to him, you're not a Christian now. And that's the point. It's not for you to go home and agonize in your heart over whether or not you might have fallen away or whether you can say somebody else has. You're not the judge of those people. They're the servants of Jesus. Let Jesus judge them. You worry about you. And the fact for you is this. Baptize into Christ. Either stand up and believe it's never going away or take your hand off the plow, turn back, and stop walking towards Zion because he's not the kind of God who calls you and changes his mind. It's called election. We'll leave it at that. Hey, dude, that was a great question, and I'm not mad at you at all. You made me excited. So please don't take that as any type of chatting. I hope that helped. We got a lot more coming. Here we go. Boom, boom. Judith. Can you tell I'm sweating? I'm in a hot garage. Here we go. Let's do this. I'll be right back. Do not spill your coffee, Jonathan. A lot easier to clean the pavement in the garage than the, the uh, carpet from last week. Mm. Can I chew in the mic for you? Does that feel good? This is just a note to ask if there is a theological difference between murder and killing. I believe that the Jews make a distinction, but wonder what your thoughts were. I hope that your throat has recovered from last week, and thank you again for your tremendous commitment to spreading the good news. You can hear it. I mean, I'm still squeaky, right? But it's, it's much better. Nose is still running. My poor beloved bride, whom I adore, has caught it. Uh, my children have mostly moved through it, but she's like in like day two of the bad middle of it, poor thing. Um, it's a brutal cold. Everyone around here is beginning it too. It's spread like through the whole area, and it's definitely not COVID. Um, so... Ha, ha, ha. Murder and killing. Yeah. I mean, there are two different words that are used in the Old Testament, and there clearly is law to deal with manslaughter versus intentional murder. Uh, what to make of that now? I'm not sure, but thou shalt not kill, I believe is the language of the commandment, but it is normally understood to mean within the bigger context of Deuterocanonical law that it is uh, you shall not murder. So to, the, the prohibition is against taking a man's life without justice. Okay, so it's not against the just punishment of the wicked for which there are plenty of laws in the deuterocanonical laws or whether it's, you know, American laws. It's not about how you cannot justly punish the wicked uh, by putting them to death. Uh, That may indeed be what must happen. Uh, And again, context has a lot to do with that. Uh, But it is that you don't have the right to be that decision maker unless you have the right to be that decision maker. Now, how do you get there? Not so easy. Not so easy. Like in in, uh, Judah. It was a lot easier. It was very clear. Torah just told you what to do. Like for us now, uh, you know, we're scattered of the wind here a little bit and we got to figure out who has the sword and whether we can serve him or whether we are compelled to resist. No, quietly, peaceably, wisely. Jedi Knight. He's got a few from last week. Thanks for all the super chats, Jedi Knight. Uh, We'll do these in order then as they're written here. Is it valuable to use archaic words to differentiate from evangelical mess of American Christianity, like saying old English words for sin, salvation, etc.? Force the curious to learn the truth via learning new words. Yes, that's what I'm doing with Hebrew. However, I don't think we should do it with archaic English words at all. English is a falling apart language. It's falling apart at the seams. So what I would rather do is take the words the evangelicals are using and redefine them with Hebrew terms in the Bible so that they're what they're supposed to mean. (laughs) And then teach that and then inculcate, vaccinate, inoculate evangelicalism um as a mission endeavor i mean it's kind of where it's at but i don't think that just going with like old words on purpose is the deal they got to be biblical words biblical words and then uh, recapturing the terms that have been taken from us biblical terms that have been removed by the world 
uh, very important. Sin, I think, being one of them. And the use of the word sin itself as one of like eight different things in the Old Testament. A good, good place to start, yeah? Uh, Jedi Knight says this as well. An elderly, elderly Syrian man I knew used to teach me a saying from Syria. <laughs> Not every thought is yours. Bring every thought into captivity to see if it is. That's exactly right, right? We kind of talked about that something earlier too, that you want to test your thoughts. Uh, you will hear yourself thinking things others have said. You will hear yourself thinking things you've come up with that are just straight up wrong. And you're not like going to hell because you had the thought. If you write it down, you can like critique it. You can not have to be right all the time. You can put a question mark at the end of it and then study it later and find out what the right answer is, right? And so yeah, absolutely. Bring your thoughts into captivity is huge. And then I think this last one's in reference to the video game uh, Theophilus, which uh, apparently is a dream in the air. Uh, considering Patmos was a kind of was kind of like Rome's Area 51 for strange things, uh, he says uh, they found their conquests. Oh, 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 Patmos was like Area 51 in that the, the weird things the Roman Empire found, they kind of put them there, John being one of them. Um, there's a lot of fun to have in these adventures. That's the idea of being Luke uh, in a virtual reality full simulation game uh, like unto something between Assassin's Creed 2 and Fallout 4 and Half-Life Alex, in which you begin at Paul's death in Rome. You research the history. You know a lot, but you're going to go research. You travel all these locations in the old world. You're going to learn a lot of biblical history and archaeology in the process, uh, have stealth combat and whatnot. And yeah, an Area 51 break-in on Patmos, that sounds like a, a swimming and stealth. That sounds great. Um, that makes me think of, what was it, uh, Resident Evil 4. That wasn't bad. I mean, I, it's all idolatry in my mind right now. I mean, pre-2020 was just a different planet. Um, it wasn't, though. We were pricked by the venomous serpent that we might wake up. Uh, but as far as games go, uh, Resident Evil 4 was classic. Classic. And yeah, a break-in a break on a on a uh, island that's guarded heavily by Roman soldiers and having to like sneak in to, like, I don't know, find some leaflet John forgot or something. That'd be really cool. Or maybe John's there and you're trying to bring a message to him. Maybe you smuggle Revelation out. That'd be super. Anyway, um, let's go on. Jenna Knight, thank you. Thank you for what you've been up to. Uh, uh, you're going to hear the, the yard's going to get busy around the neighborhood, which is okay. It's okay. Jenna Knight, I already got this one. Here we go. About four more to go. And I pray you're all still enjoying this. We're down a little. Nah, we're doing okay. Um, uh, Cafe Soleil says this. Are there really LCMS churches, groups, people who deny third use of the law, who think they are living in dispensation of grace because faith alone is necessary for salvation? I can't answer that question with an affirmative. I would, other than saying, like, like, why would there not be? Like, on this planet right now, don't you think, like, everything that can be wrong is being done somewhere? So, are we really in a crisis that is the result of an intentional rejection of the third use of the law as a political maneuver to gain power and influence within the Missouri Synod as an act of the devil to topple our great bastion of orthodoxy. Red herring. It's a red herring. The vast majority of congregations on American shores, the vast majority of people in them, would do best just to come to whatever church you're at this week Beat your best breast and pray that Jesus doesn't just burn us all in the next couple of years through letting all the inflation and horde, looting, barbaric activity do what it did to ancient Rome right here around all of us. Arguing about the uses of the law is like the definition of, my word has become to you line upon line and precept upon precept. If you're denying the word of God that says don't do this and you're doing it, you're not denying the 30s of the law. You're an idolater. 
You're a trespasser. We had these categories so we can argue about stuff and sound wise, and it isn't. It's just, it's, it's folly. I'm all for believing what our confessions say, but they are not there for us to have further debates about them. They're there to unify us back into the scriptures. So, yes, I'm sure there are people who think that we can do whatever we want because Jesus is our king. And those people on Judgment Day will find out who they were worshiping, and it wasn't Jesus. And why is that something that we have to worry about? Why don't we find the churches that aren't doing that, join them, support them, be part of what they can be? Yeah. So this is where like the ministry on the internet should be less about how to stop all the evil on the internet <laughs> and more about like being a lighthouse, you know, being a lighthouse. Ted says this, if you could elaborate on the Hebrew terms for God, the father and Jesus as the incarnate Lord in Proverbs, well, that's good. Uh, that would be very helpful. I think it would be too. I'm not sure I can do it. I, I don't think that uh, would be lost by most lay people. Otherwise, good job, pastor. So this probably comes from me calling like Jesus Christ. I, I say that when I say the Lord uh, often when I read the Psalms, the Proverbs, or the Old Testament, because I find it helpful to remember that the God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ, and that when we say Jesus is Lord, that's what we mean. And so, like, it's amazing how putting his name in the Old Testament, like, opens the Old Testament up a whole bunch. Um, it really does. So that's my main, but like, the Old Testament does not distinguish between God the Father and God the Son in that kind of terminology at all. And all I can tell you is what Jesus said to Philip, like, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? You're only going to see the Father through Christ. And so are there places in the Old Testament where there are theophanies that you can understand as being revelations of the Father? Yes, but Jesus is there too. And he's always the mediator to the Father. So the burning bush, the cloud, cloud and pillar of fire, uh, the angel of Yahweh, uh, the cloud in the temple. I mean, these are all God. And God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, mystery of mysteries, you know you know in the one man, Jesus Christ, who inspires you with the person of the Holy Spirit, which is his words that come in and out of you back to the Father through him. I'm not so sure that like Solomon was like trying to distinguish this in Greek philosophical terms for the sake of the Platonists who are struggling with it, which is where most of our talk about the Trinity comes from. Nothing is wrong, but is it really inspirational? No, it's not really inspirational at all. Nothing like I bind unto myself today, the strong email of the Trinity. Mm, that's a song, but but it, that's a different thing. If you if you listen to the song, uh, that's a completely different thing. Like trying to talk about how three persons, one substance, neither combining, confusing the essence nor dividing. Blah, 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 blah. Like that's important stuff. If you're going to argue about whether Jesus is God, but if we're talking about what the Proverbs want to teach us, that's not what the Proverbs is there to teach you. It's to teach you that Jesus is your King. So just Jesus Christ is your King, who is God, and throughout the Proverbs. Whenever it refers to God or the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, and he's the king that Proverbs is always referring to. And all other kings that Proverbs refers to is under his kingdom. Just go in it from that round. Yeah. And that this king who is a man, the son of David who sits on David's throne in Jerusalem, king forever, he says that kind of stuff, the preacher, <laughs> you know, um, uh, that this man is the path of the father in his words, and you don't need to find the father apart from him. You don't need to distinguish the father in Proverbs. You don't believe that your king has given you a way to understand God in himself. That, man, that's what the Trinity is. Imminent and transcendent, all at the same time. Risk it, says this. Is it a problem for the church that more and more Christians are rejecting traditional denominations and opting to host makeshift church services in their homes on Sundays like early church did? Okay, first off, the nonsense about the early church. That's not what they did. So just, golly. And that's why when they do this, it's like they, they boast about it, like it's some sort of like original authentic thing, but then they're doing it without any type of trained meaning. Someone who knows the Bible 
not like, like you have to go to seminary, but you've been tested by other people and found to be clear, right? Uh, often they're doing this without that, right? They're just going off on their own. They're running without being sent. And the modern ones, especially, because the ancient ones didn't. The ancient ones did not run without being sent. So whatever they did when they met in homes, which was meeting in large courtyards of wealthy people, which were often devoted entirely to worship and never used for any other purpose, because why would you use a holy place for any other thing? And even they, they knew this. We don't know this. We don't believe in holiness. We don't believe in proximity. We don't believe we really have bodies that matter. So, but as we do that, and as people are going to their homes, I have a couple of questions. First, are more and more people actually doing this? There have always been people who are saying more and more people are doing this. And there are people saying everyone should do this. It's a nice story. Are more and more people actually doing it? I know of maybe two groups in my area. And um, one of them is a pastor <laughs> whose church kicked him out. And he opened a cigar shop. It's a great cigar shop. And he gets like 30 guys a week to read the Bible in there from the town. He's in, which is far down away from where the church was. who didn't want him. Now, this guy's a Nazarene, I think, uh, and he's got all sorts of legalism and things that I just I really wouldn't agree with. And frankly, um, and I, you know, if you're watching out there, I mean, I, I don't feel like I get hurt when I talk. So, so but all that, all that said, you know, am I going to condemn him? What was he driven out of? A neighborhood wherein 15 old white people just wanted to sit there and keep everything exactly as it was as the place died while around them a bunch of poor black people did violence to each other and they just ignored it. Yeah, or throw some money at it or something, get the pastor to go deal with it. But don't bring them to church. <laughs> so like, you know, as, as people decide that church is where two or three gather around a preacher of the Bible, I'm not going to say they're wrong for it, especially as you look at what's out there in American denominationalism, which is largely a state-run church. The worship of the screen, the listening to the zeitgeist, all of these things. So I don't blame them from doing this. I think they should come to my church instead. I think we could do a lot more together than we can apart. I think that hiding in corners is a way to let heretics run the show because when you get a small group and you say, what's everybody think? And you pool all your information. The natural man tends to win the conversation. What you need is an inspired leader. That is one who declares the word of God as what it says. And wherein that happens, if people are actually leaving, what, Agent Orange Church or whatever it is on the East Coast to form a home church where they read the Bible because that's better than going to the church where they don't teach the Bible? That's probably a good move on their part. And we can be like, the Lutherans are like, but they should come to the Lutheran church. And, and they're all like, but you guys are jerks and you won't take the time to tell us why you're jerks or why you, you won't translate anything. You insist we'd be just like you and then you're all arrogant about it. So why would I, and I don't, and then you do that so much, you're so far over in that corner, no one even knows you're there. We don't even know you exist. And then you want us to be like joining you and stuff. <laughs> but first we have to like go to class for like three years and then learn how to listen to classical music. You hear me? It's so much more complex than we give it credit for. And where you are matters more than what I've said. Middle-class healthcare says, Pastor Fisk, I was listening to Bill, old Billy Graham sermon, the only good kind, uh, where he said he believed that we would be working in heaven with the ability to travel the universe. I'd love to know your thoughts. You know, I, I, I was with him when I was a modernist. When I learned that the major move that made modernism modernism is a shifting of the the worldview of man by twisting or bending his eyes so that he could look up and see not the stars, but like some other thing. And he can look down and see not the leaf, but some other thing. That we bend the light 
in order to see and say we are here. So I've been trying to like, I can't get away from the bent light, but I've been trying to let the bent light not count as much as the revealed word of God and the natural standing position, which is that like God wants me to understand the world from like this body, right? And then from that point, if I make a microscope, it's not really wrong, but it is kind of twisted. It is sort of pursuing something unseen. And that way it verges on a magical way of thinking about the universe. And the more that I try to reject that, the more I realize that space travel is a magical way of thinking about the universe. It doesn't really understand physics or science or, or the way that space works at all. It's, it's quite a shot in the dark, quite literally. So like, I'm not so sure I can go here on this one specifically. God, I'm getting a cramp in my foot. I'm going to jump. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to go here specifically, like that we're going to travel the universe. Although I used to like to think about how, wouldn't it be neat if we could like make spaceships out of trees with renewable energy built out of like dolphins that swim and pull us through space? Like, I mean, I don't know. Why not? And then we can go look at the nebula or whatever. But then again, maybe we're supposed to hang out with each other and just chat and have a great time rather than worry about going somewhere else. And, um, you hear me there? So like, uh, the pictures that we have of paradise, not to get rid of Lewis's further up and farther in idea, although in the great divorce, it is platonic again. Um, <laughs> uh, I think eternity is just going to be good enough. And the idea that we'll need to go somewhere is a part of the fallen mindset that in eternity we will stand and we will look and what we see will be what we're supposed to see. Now, if we walk over to a spaceship and fly, then that's what Jesus has planned. But I'm not going to like rest my hope of the future on whether I get to go to Saturn, you know, or whatever. So much as like in what I know will be there, a kingdom, a city, a people, an economy. My prayer is increasingly, Lord, uh, May I just lead a simple and quiet life? And if I get to be a doorkeeper in in the in the temple, like that'd be neat. But like the dream for a while was like avocados. I've shared this other places. Like what I really want is like the, the, the temple's up that way. Like Zion, I can see Zion. I got a little lake right by Zion with some waves. Lake with waves, why not? And like uh, over there's Zion, and then right behind here is my avocado grove. And I get up and I walk through the avocado grove and I pray my psalter. And I pick some good fresh ones because they gotta be fresh. And I go and I make some guacamole. And, I, and then I go over to my little table. It's right by the road design. It's time for morning prayer. And there's some guacamole. And people just get to have some guacamole. And I wait to morning prayer. And I join them. And we go to morning prayer. And, and then I come back and I sleep in my avocado grove. And I talk to my children or, or my friends or whoever. My enemies that were saved and they're there, right? And like that just seems more like the spirit of what's supposed to happen, right? Than like I'm going to get on a spaceship with some like lions, which imagine it any way you want, you know? Um, but, but increasingly it's not what's far away. It's what's right here under my feet. And that man's cosmology as king of his region, his place where he stands is to be where he stands and to reflect God of that place. And so in my avocado garden, I would be the reflection of my King Christ who's in the city down to this, these trees and these ants and these other people who like to work in the avocado garden with me. And, and da, 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 da. what changed all of this was when I became a carnivore. <laughs> so now it's like, but, but we don't get to eat the cows. So now I get it. This is completely a shift, right? But I love this. You got to bear with me. I went carnivore because it works and it actually is really good for your body experientially. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'll die young, but it's, it feels better. 
that means what I do is I eat 99% red meat and red meat fat and dairy fat. Although I prefer red meat fat, although I'm just not rich enough for it. Ribeyes are expensive. So like when I did that, and then I realized that God like made them for this after the flood. Like he gave us these ruminants, these, these animals that eat the green stuff in ways we can't and then turn it into what we need that's actually what we're made of and you can eat it. He did this after the flood. He's like, you can have this now. That's really cool. But then like, it's pretty clear that because of this, got a negative on that one. Where's the other negative from earlier ago? I should have two by now. The, we are not hitting our mark till we get lots more negatives, by the way. Um, come back to it. Carnivore, carnivore, carnivore. Oh, oh yeah. So then I'm like, but here's the thing. In paradise, we're not going to eat beef. God's saving the cattle too. Read Jonah. The fish? Interesting. He ate some fish after he rose from the dead, but like, we're not going to be eating the beef. And so you know what I realized though, too? Because like, like carnivore, you know what I haven't been able to eat? You know what I can't eat? It's pizza. I mean, I eat cauliflower pizza, but I, I mean, it's, it's fine. But, but like, so I wanted to have an avocado place, right? I kind of want a pizza stand. <laughs> uh, you don't hear me? Uh, and I want this nice icorn wheat. It's going to be like a good nutty kind of thick raised pizza dough, right? And then maybe we'll like, we'll do avocado topping. Ooh, I don't know. That might be good, but you got to love the, the cheese and tomato, the nightshade though. What will happen to the nightshade? Can the nightshade in paradise be the day shade? Ooh, because nightshades aren't really good for us. It's fascinating. So there you go. There's my thoughts. That's all I care. I mean, any way that you can imagine the resurrection of the dead bodily with the stories and symbols that you have, go ahead and do that and then test it by scripture consistently. And as soon as you run into a scripture passage, it's like, nope, not like that reject that uh, space travel i mean yeah why not he ascended into the heavens we are the sons of heaven the the next man is made of heaven we're told so i don't know yeah yeah let, let it roll let it roll and continue to trust what is certain which is that the psalter <laughs> is your guaranteed prayer book that recently i was going through the ones where it's like i have walked in my integrity yeah? and lutherans are always like how can i say this and I'm telling you, say it. Start saying it. Start believing that when you say I walk in my integrity, it means I believe the small catechism is true even if I can't quite perfectly fulfill it. And I want to. And I keep trying to. I'm not going to stop just because I failed yesterday. In fact, I'm going to know, as Wolf Miller said earlier today, that yesterday is always going to be that. And today is always the new mercy. And I wake up and I give it to God. I try again and I finish incomplete and yet sufficiently quiet. If I know that he's in charge and I'm not. What a thing, what a thing. We've got a super chat here from the Joshua Project. He says, uh, what would you recommend a person do to become a good catechist? Hmm. You'll have to forgive me. I really love some people who use this word, but I'd stop using the word catechist. I'd stop being, I, I'm trying to do this myself and it's slow. And someday I'll be able to publish a resource for you, I hope. I would stop using any Latin, German, English words to talk about the faith that are not words that are evidently in the Bible. And while katecheo does show up in the Greek, it's not evidently in the English anywhere. In fact, it's English. It's, it's basically a nonsense term. And you can claim it and say, okay, here's the term we're going to grab that is, we're always going to, as Lutherans know, that when we say catechism, we mean the ultimate teaching of the Bible. So like, oh, where'd you go? Uh, there it is. You mean like the word teaching? Like, heck, one of the first 
what, 15 words in the book of Proverbs, lakak. Um, why don't we just talk about lakaking? Or why don't we just talk about teaching? Since that's the word that means what we mean. So how to become a good teacher is what you're asking, right? See, it starts by using the words people know. And then if you're going to teach a word people don't know, you're going to teach it as a word they don't know, and then you're going to consistently use it as if it's known. Now, again, I'm going to suggest that if you're going to spend capital doing that, don't spend it on a word like on a word like catechist. That doesn't get you anything. It doesn't move the group anywhere other than thinking that you're special somehow because you know more, which true if you're the teacher you do but you don't have to explain the word catechist to convince them to believe that you should teach them what the bible says you follow me so there's something about clinging to the nostalgia of what worked in another time with another language and then recognizing that that language has been pillaged by the philistines and that it wasn't even biblical to begin with it was roman platonic philosophy so you hear me a little bit, a little bit, maybe, maybe, maybe. So uh, you want to find good terms. Oh, let me give you this. I mean, this has been my insanity, really. I mean, this one set me off on a, on a spin I have not recovered from yet. This is Ecclesiastes 12. Moreover, the preacher was wise. He taught the people knowledge. He pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Verse 10, 12 verse 10. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, the words of the scholars, well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Further, my son, be admonished by these. Yeah? So, like, finding the good words, finding the good goads, that's what a good catechist would do. The trick is what happens when the words that worked up till 1940 now don't work, especially because we translated into English without thinking about it much. I didn't realize all these words were pirated about 200 years before we took them and were way behind the scenes of trying to have anybody understand them and all our people think they mean what the world says and trying to convince them otherwise by like grabbing the word catechist. You got to get the words they've lost first, not the words you're trying to bring back. How about Jesus? How about sin? How about grace? How about resurrection? Hmm? Yeah. Joshua Project. I appreciate the question. It's a good question. I don't mean to be snarky this morning. It is warm. That could be part of it. But by and large, um, what a beautiful day. Check it out. There you go. Gorgeous. Gorgeous day here in Rockford. Oh, not really in Rockford. We're in the county. Yeah. Um, praying for Rockford here. And also, thank you for you praying for me. I always ask you to help me out on Patreon. I'm going to ask you again. Go to Patreon. Sign up. Support me. A buck twenty-five every week. I mean, you can really afford that. Five bucks a week. You can really afford that. It helps me do what I'm doing. It keeps all this continuing process going, including my own learning curve, as I attempt to be something of a forerunner for the rest of y'all who realize that manliness has got to look a little bit different in Christianity. And, uh, you know, if you don't get a fool out in front trying, we've got nothing to imitate. Yeah. So imitate what's good. Throw away what's bad. But help me out. Yeah. Help me out on Patreon. And help me out with your prayers. When you're saying that Psalter every day, when you're praying the Sons of Solomon Psalms, if you aren't, you should. You should look up what that is, and it's not a motorcycle gang. <laughs> Come to the Mad Christian Discord, us the chill. Go to Discord, look up us the chill. Ask about Sons of Solomon. You'll find out. Um, uh, <laughs> with all of that going on, right, um, uh, uh, your prayers for me are the most valuable thing you can do. Ah, uh, I... I I think I've told this story before, and I really don't want to demean my elders in any way, shape, or form, any of them. But I can't get over this moment where 
I was with a group of pastors and one of them's asking, I keep stepping on the trash can. <laughs> uh, one of them's asking, um, you know, what are we going to do about all these problems with the church? Right. This is post COVID and he's not talking about COVID. He's not talking about the shutdowns. He's not talking about mass. I'm not really sure. He's just talking like they used to talk in the eighties about how we need to like do more mission or something. Right. But I, I like this guy. He's given a lot of wisdom. I really appreciate when he talks. And, and so I'm like, wow, you know, for my part, I think we need to do less and pray more. And he didn't miss a beat. He's like, that can't be it. No, we can't just pray. And like ever since that, I'm like, well, I think that's what I'm going to do then. <laughs> like I'm going to stop trying. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray very specifically. I'm going to pray very loudly. I'm going to pray very large prayers. I'm going to pray them with the Psalter, correcting me along the way. And the Proverbs teaching me you know, what the way to go is. Would you join me? I'd like to have a cathedral here in Rockford that's a hub for the entire world, for Christianity, people to come here and learn how to plant Christian like villages. Would you pray for that? That someone could do that somewhere so that we can all kind of have a place where we figure out how to do this together and then don't give up and go out again rather than just hurdle and circle? Uh, would you pray for that? Would you pray for Mad Christian Mondays? Have you signed up for Mad Christian Mondays? This is the best news source out there. I talked about it way, way earlier. It's free. Go to riffus.com slash newsletter. And you can sign up. It will give you all the news from the past week that the rest of the news didn't give you. And it will give you, uh, you know, yeah, ways to find the news that did give it to you but wasn't picked up by the mass. And then uh, hopefully a little bit of a context for that. Yeah. Uh, Mad Christian Mondays. Uh, check that out. Pick it up. Refus.com slash newsletter. Um, and then again, uh, make that part of your prayer habit. For the sake of all the things we're talking about, we need sustainable communities. We need Christians where fathers raise their sons. We need Christians where fathers are heads of their household and the mother enjoys being the mother of the household so that man and woman are understood as being what God created us to be, right? All of those things, they don't happen by us saying, we need that, let's do it. They happen by us saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name among us. So please, join me in that. Pray for it here in Rockford. Pray for it. in Austin, where, where Wolf Miller is. Pray for it in Wyoming, where they're trying to start a new school. Pray for it in River Forest, where they're trying to reform an old school. Huh? Wherever you see Christians standing up right now and saying, no more, no more. I'm going to stand here, and this is my space, and I will worship my God. Wherever you see that, rejoice. And then pray for them. Pray for them. Rather than wallowing in the muck with those who have no hope. Yeah, Lift up your head at that sky that Jesus went up into, And remember, he's going to come back just as he left because he is risen. You are paid for. You are immortal now. And he's not going to be long anyway. The water seals it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity. That day is approaching. You've watched the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Show. We'll be back in a week. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?